to episode 40 of Zapped to the Past. I am Adrian Mills and I'm joined as always by Graham Raddings. If you have not listened before, this is a podcast where we discuss games that were released for the Commodore 64. Last week we looked at our first batch of games from issue 20 of Zap 64, which we are in no way affiliated with, and stepped up to the Oki for 180, was scarred by Soldier One, and had a full-on colonoscopy with Captain Kelly. It was horrible. Horrible. Sounds nasty. Really was. Nasty. Yeah, this week we conclude our look at the games in December 1986, along with what was lighting up our TV and cinema screens that month. Graham, enlighten us with the foreknowledge of things to come. In this stomach-destroying, colossal, final slice of the massive festive leftover pie that we like to call 1986, we climb back into our exploding karate pants and play scroll and seek in the dreary, combat-festooned world of Fist 2 The Legend Continues, try our blue blobby best to fulfil the demands of the gobshite upstairs in the pedestrian trapdoor, and grab our skateboards for a recycling escapade on the motorway with the somewhat unsanitary Street Surfer. We also dodge the bees and abandon all hope when entering the bitty brown world of Dante's Inferno, get our specky-like isometric giddy-on with the directional Dalek mayhem of Highway Encounter before getting our 3D brains in gear, admiring the cleverness, and then settling in for a 1 in 10,000 chance of having a laugh with the Sentinel. If that slice of black hole pie hasn't pushed so hard on your colon you need to power dump, we shout chocks away and attempt to pilot our way to multitasking victory with the emotive Ace of Aces, try and survive the dark side of the moon, and manage laser fences using our moon bike in Red Max and assemble an isometrically challenged militia in the slug-paced spectromatic Strike Force Cobra. We also update our childcare and health and safety badges with the dubious Mad Nurse, go full-blown Godzilla and smash up some city folk with the crumbly movie monster game, wince in pitiful homage confusion at the indescribably inept Orpheus in the Underworld before finally waving goodbye to 1986 with the blistering bounce-o-matic techno cleverness of the tricky Trailblazer. I think 1987 has just glove slapped 1986 and demanded a duel. It won't last long. Sweet. That sounds good. Let's get into this. Because the first one up needs discussing. (laughs) It really does. (laughs) And so, Graham, I'm going to hand over to you and you can tell us all about Fist 2. The legend continues. Very well. Thank you very much. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. It's Um, it's my honour. It's my pleasure. (laughs) So... 18 months ago in Commodore 64 land where the exploding fist made its appearance and we've debated and looked at that in the past I think it what episode was the, where the exploding fist in for us it was maybe in the early first few wasn't what it? episode was it in yeah maybe episode uh, four was it was issue was issue four or five so it would have been I don't know many 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 moons six. ago many moons have passed 1700 rels in fact have passed <laughs> so many rails did the game need a sequel we don't know but here we go they spent 18 months allegedly developing fist 2 the legend continues before we dive into the many many things that are interesting about this game let's just explore what it's all about so an evil warlord has destroyed the temples of the exploding fist and with that the eight scrolls 
insert the word trigrams, but scrolls, that were contained within and they're lost in the destruction. In this game, you must wander around, find the eight trigrams, um, and beat anyone that comes up in your pathway along the way. And so when you find all of those, you can restore the way of the exploding fist to its former glory, or at very least keep the memory of it alive. So the game is played out in a side-scrolling method. You play the fighter, and character-wise and graphic-wise, you're about the same size as you were in way of the exploding fist. Maybe slightly smaller, but quite a big sprite, central sprite. And you have to sort of walk left and right through very different landscapes, looking for the set trigrams avoiding walking through different backgrounds uh, so jungles walking through dojos waterfalls caves dungeons and mountains fighting various henchmen dogs and weird underground shuriken throwing creatures in order to find the trigrams when you do find them you've got to um, take them and pray at the correct shrine and in doing so we will absorb their power there are eight of them all together and each one contains a special power that actually allows you to do extra things on the map the map is very extensive here so the first trigram allows you to uh, destroy rocks. The second one, you can climb certain arrows that you can't otherwise climb. The third one means you take less damage in a fight. I'll come to that in a moment. Fourth one, you can kick down trees. Very handy, that one. Fifth one, you increase the damage that you inflict. The sixth one is your ability to jump chasms. That's the key one for a certain part of this game. Again, I'll come to that. Uh, trigram seven lights, lights up a darkened room. And the final trigram means that you don't take poison from the poison room which is kind of a green color when you go through it so the idea then is to wander around find those special powers and then explore the map until you successfully complete the game and you've got all of the stuff so that's the game and the presentation of the game is by intention a i would want to use the term adventure i would liken it to a little bit like kung fu the tv show but obviously a karate version or an exploding fist version so the mainstay of the game is that you are walking left and right periodically getting interrupted by somebody fighting a bit like in karateka and in some games of that type fighting warrior karateka games of that type even that awful amazon jungle game and you would take on the enemies and you fight head to head there's a slight difference with the way the exploding fist here is that here you have energy so you can take multiple hits and once your energy depletes you are as good as did or at least as good as dead as it gets in this game so that's the game and the, that's the plan for the game and it might all sound really really good on the paper but it went wrong it went badly <laughs> badly wrong so the graphics vary in this game i quite like the main sprites but your enemy sprites just look like you with a different head which is pretty much exactly what they are so you get i think four or five variations of enemy with different heads there's a masked one a ninja one that looks like he's wearing a hanky on his head um and a couple of others i think um ball, got a baseball ball. cap on. yeah but there is one with a pirate and he's got an eye patch as well for some reason i don't know so you wander around and as you're wandering around you just get periodically attacked whether you're walking to the left or the right whether you're in a cave whether you're in the jungle whether you're in a pond if you're in a pond you can't do certain moves um, or river and it is the same thing over and over and over again so you have to accept that that is the game space of this the fighting in of itself is good because it's way the exploding fist so there's the sound effects in the game you get this <laughs> i'm trying to be kind about the music but the music isn't is is either something that will slowly drive you insane depending on which part of the game because it changes for the different backdrops so 
when you're at the jungle part, you get this kind of, um, I don't even know how you describe the soundtrack for this game, but you get different sort of soundtracks that are supposed to inspire kind of mood, I think. So when you go, when you start the game, you get this kind of weird sort of, you know, ooh, almost like spooky sounding thing. When you go in the caves, it all goes kind of blippy, bloppy and echoey. And that, you get the idea that it's meant to be kind of dramatic. And I think the idea was to try and drive a, a cinematic, thematic type feel for this game. It doesn't work because they get really annoying really quickly because it's the same thing over and over again. So the fighting is good. The energy bars is a nice idea. Something that repeats and comes back in many other games after this. So I think at least there's some things you can take out from this experience is that that's actually quite a good take out, take away. So I quite like the idea of the fighting mechanics in this. I think it's a good change of direction for fighting games in that sense. You've got bugs in this game, which I think are unforgivable in a game that's taken 18 months to develop. One of which is the infamous scrolling bug. So as you walk across the screen, you start to moonwalk at the end of the scrolling part and then the screen sort of slowly <laughs> scrolls behind you in a kind of a really weird, terrible update. Is that, is that hang on a minute, is that a bug? Because I would just thought that was how they'd intentionally designed the scrolling. No, that's a bug. That's a bug in the game. Because if you press restore at the right point, you'll just float and you just floats and carries on floating forever. That's how you get across some of the rivers later on if you if you don't know about that, that cheat. Oh. So there is that. So there's some bugs in there. Some of the enemies... Some of the enemy logic is weird. So if you if you accidentally go off the screen and come back, the enemy will reappear instantly sometimes, or sometimes they don't. And sometimes when you're in the caves, if you're fighting an enemy, because there's a, the effect is kind of, you sort of see caves and then you go behind some of them, which is a nice idea. But when you're fighting behind them, you can't see what you're doing. So you end up mm-hmm. literally fighting with no view of what you're actually doing at all, which is kind of stupid. The moves on the joystick equate to the similar moves. I think, I think they're all basically the same as where the Exploding Fist. I don't remember there being any key differences. So there is that weird repeating of enemies. The backgrounds and the scrolling can hinder your gameplay sometimes so it feels like you you want this game should have been pacier and snappier and it's not and if you die if you play if you don't you know get through it you actually go back to the beginning of the entire game so you could be 98 percent of the way through this game accidentally fall or die and that's it done and you're back to the start literally the start of the game which i think is soul destroying and again there's no saves thank god for the expert cartridge later on <laughs> so there are some sampled sounds sort of ah, ah, you know fight sounds that you'd expect but i'm repeat play because i bought this way back then because i was i really like where the exploding fist this had this was given the big marketing licks back then there was lots of expectation there'd been an amazing preview in not in Zap, I have to say, a big preview in Commodore User, which really sold it on this adventure thing you were going on. That belied the experience of loading that game in for the first time, which is where you feel, literally feel your heart sink when you start to play the game and you realise that you've been sold a lemon. On repeat play for this podcast, I found it quite hypnotic, really, weirdly. I found an hour had passed away and I had, I don't, I'm not sure. I just, I thought, right, I'm just going to keep walking to the right. No matter what <laughs> happens, I'm going to the right. And I must have progressed for miles in that game. Goodness knows, I walked through different landscapes. But because the landscapes repeat, sometimes you just feel like you're going back over the, and you might even be going back over the same place now when i actually looked online for a map for this game some of the places do repeat you do actually go through an area and come back on yourself because there's very little logic most of the logic of the progression in this involves you having to go up and down ladders and jumping across things which you don't actually do for ages so you'll just mm-hmm. wander around. So you would need to map this game. If you didn't map this game, I think you would never really do it. Um, so there's, so I think it's almost impossible. The fighting is interesting, and that's the only thing that's interesting. I think this game suffered from being poor and unfinished, or la- it certainly wasn't finished enough. The fighting is the only good thing, but that was the only good th- takeaway they took from where the Exploding Fist. If the fighting was as bad, ha- well, it couldn't have been, could it? Because the fighting was good. That's the one thing they took from where the Exploding Fist, which made this good. 
if you took that out, this game would be utter crap. It got 39% in Zap. Remember, Gary Penn wrote an essay, great big long essay, yeah. and it ended with something like, give me a C, give me an R, give me an A. You know, he hated it. He absolutely hated it, and with good cause. So I'd... And, on, re- on review, do I think it's crap? Absolute crap. I don't think it's certainly it's certainly deserving of its review at the time. I don't think it's terrible, terrible, because I think it, it, there are parts that it lent to other future fighting games, which are takeaways that you can have, probably by accident, really, but they did put those in. And it did come with Fist 2 Tournament on the B-side, which was actually the thing I spent more time playing, which is a variation of Way of the Exploding Fist, only with the energy bars in it which meant that fights lasted longer, there's a bit more tactics, and it's just generally a bit more fun background. Same sort of game, but but it's a lot better. The sad thing was that this game could have been something really, 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 really brilliant had they taken the time to really understand what would make something like this work and what doesn't make it work. It's just wondering, because they must have thought, you know, let's just have loads of beating people up. Everyone loves that part about where they explain fist. And in the context of a competition, it's great. But in an arcade adventure, it doesn't work. And it ends up being a massive, great, repeated exercise of repeat, 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 to the point when you feel like you're watching an episode of that Scooby-Doo. Remember when the background used to just loop? Or when they used to go, when mm-hmm. the characters in, front, yeah, yeah. in the Flintstones used to run and the backgrounds just loop, and it feels like that. And so I think the tragedy of this game is that it could have been something very good. Unfortunately, it is not. And I think everyone should play Fist 2 just to see and feel that moment of disappointment when you've played Way the Exploding Fist and then you go to this and you think, Ugh, and it all went horribly wrong. So I always had a little bit of time for it, but the replay really proved why I didn't like everything about this game except the fighting. But that's me. Uh, that's a long load of that's a long diatribe what about you i'm pretty much in the same ballpark i'm not going to go too far off that yeah i've put put the sequel to should have been a gold medal where the exploding fist sees a much bigger game that has obviously taken on board things from i put karateka and fighting warrior and applied the way the exploding fist fighting to them and this should be great Mm. it really should but it's so boring boring it's so so boring the music becomes (laughs) it's almost verbatim we're so on the same page here the music becomes grating real quickly and you yeah. just wander about the place being set upon by random assailants or cats or whatever. And it's also slow, so slow. But if you could run, yeah. that would be helpful. Like Karatika, you could get back to where you were quicker. You know, because you do die, you will die. You will be back at the beginning. And, and that can be annoying if you found a trigram and you've not found a place to actually go in. Because if you bow, is it in it? If you go bow at a place where the trigger, where the scrolls are, if you die, you go, you can, you get like a life, don't you? Yeah, you go back of, to yeah, them when yeah. you can, you can respawn back at those. So yeah. you don't lose progress so much. But if you haven't found one, well, back to the beginning with you. Yeah. Um, and so then trudging through the same screens over and over, and it is literally trudging through boring, boring screens. Yeah. Essentially, this is um, what this, what this actually is, is it's the way the exploding fist fights, but where you have to walk for five minutes between each one <laughs> yeah. so it's, it's someone said oh you know you know you like exploding fist don't you yeah well you can have your first bout here and then the next bout's at your mate's house and the next bout is at the friends down the, further down the road you have to walk to them no running and that's what this is it's a it's an interminable walking in between bouts of fighting and, and that's there's nothing else to this game apart from fighting and walking and the odd bit where you have to somersault over running cats or dogs or whatever they were. I can I can kind of, I can see what they were aiming for. They were trying to do this fleshing out the Exploding Fist world and the story's quite nice and there's this thing about it. And you, you can kind of see where they were trying to go, but it's just a big dull disappointment. Mm. And yep. I think that's the most damning thing about it is that, you know, Exploding Fist, it was episode five we reviewed that in, by the way, which would have been our seventh episode, but episode five, August right. 1980, uh, 1985. So uh, where the Exploding Fist felt exciting. Yeah. It felt 
you know, revolutionary, as you said. It felt, wow, look at this, boom. This feels like none of that. It just feels... And the worst thing is about this game is not that it's not technically... Yeah, there's bugs. It's not that it's not technically quite clever. You know, there's some nice bits. And like you said, the walking behind the backgrounds in the caves and things like that. Some nice technical clever stuff and the map is massive and everything you do and all that kind of stuff. But the worst thing is, is it's dull. Very. And an exploding fist game should not be dull. Nope. It's got the word exploding fist in it, or the words. That's a exciting pair of words. Fists exploding. Mm. Ah, such a pair, such a, a ball ache that this is so dull because you want to like it. It's just, there's nothing in the map. No. It's just, it's too there's big and nothing. too empty, you know, and the trigrams that you find are like the smallest little crappy little thing. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's no real puzzles to solve apart from, you know, there's nothing. There's nothing. I know we bemoan these wonderthons where you're solving puzzles, but at least they've got puzzles. There's nothing else in this apart from, you know, people in baseball caps trying to beat you up. Yeah, a lot. Which is weird for, a, which is weird for an, an Eastern, you know, set in Japan or China, wherever it's set, I presume it's Japan. Yeah, wander, wandering around trying to beat people up, and I just I didn't get it. Tournament mode's all right, though. Yeah. <laughs> we, we used to play that quite a lot, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Yeah, it's about the best thing about it. Although, I seem to remember, I don't know whether I'm thinking of a different game here, but on the version I, I played here, the your health was just numbers in the corner. Is that how it used to be? No, the version I had, I'm sure it had to scroll like it does in Fist 2, the game. The yeah, no, the version I was playing, the one when I picked tournament, which is the version I shared, just just had numbers in the corner that's not i remember i didn't play the replay the tournament for the podcast but yeah that's what i mean yeah i thought it had scrolls as well so i don't know whether there's some weird bit there i don't know but i think at this point there's not enough there's not enough adventure here for there to be a game and really go by international karate if you want some fighting kicks yeah yeah and i think that's that's what i would do and that's what this is no you know it's, it's a tenor of emptiness yes it is. There's, there's a big map, um, but it's a big map of nothing. Yeah, exactly. And same. You know, I mean, the caves, every cave, I mean, you change, you know, a black cave is the same as a green cave is the same as a blue cave. It's the same cave graphics. Yeah. A, a, a ladder is the same ladder that I'm climbing up for the fourth time <laughs> yeah. going upwards. It's, oh, God, another bloody ladder. And who is going around putting all these ladders, handy ladders in all their caves? I mean, some guy, ladders.com has been in there. Like, <laughs> you guys got a lot of caves around here. Do you need ladders? Because I've got a, like a truckload of these ladders. I've got a lorry yeah, load. We, we have, yeah. It's just <laughs> just such a shame. You know, you, it's fist two, isn't it? You want to like it. But yeah, no. <sighs> fist, I mean, I don't want to say fist poo is the obvious, uh, that is the obvious. The obvious pun here. Yeah. Uh, so let's not say that. Let's no. just say fist doo doo. Fist doo, yeah. Fist doo doo, yeah. <laughs> fist doo doo. So uh, such a shame. Boring. Boring. The legend continues dull boringly. Yes. It's a shame. So uh, let's move on to uh, another game um, and let's leave that behind bit of a downer that one isn't it really it's just a, it's the tragedy it's the tragedy it's just a, it is it's, it's actually a really disappointing game yeah in, in a lot of ways yeah. really it's a really one of those games you go oh, and if you ever want to read a really interesting read go back in this you already you already have but i would advise people who listen to this podcast go and read the preview that was in commodore user and you tell me after you've played play the game first then go back and read the preview and tell me how much of that was complete bullshit. Because <laughs> tell you that when you read it, it sounds really cool. And when you actually, knowing that you've played the game in your mind, you'd be like, it's nothing like that. <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. I mean, even at the time, people, I mean, Zap, even at 39%, it was a, it was a lemon from day one. Yeah. yeah. Hey, um, never mind. Right, let's, 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 seriously, let's move on now. Yes. To our next game, which is, it's got 89%. <laughs> Wow, <laughs> this is Trapdoor. <laughs> trapdoor. <laughs> Don't you open <laughs> that trapdoor. Because there's something some down there. All right, so yes, this is Trapdoor. This is based on the children's TV show of the same name. Trapdoor sees you take on the role of Burke. 
Burke, a blue blob of a creature. What was Burke? I don't know. It's just a blue blob, isn't he? It's, it's a blue blob. blue blob of a thing. Yeah. It kind of looks like a space hopper with legs. Mm. Who is tasked with creating various horrible meals for the master upstairs, who's always shouting down, Burke, get me this stuff or do this or whatever. So in order to do this, you have to open the titular trapdoor to release various horrible entities and sort out the grub before it's time up. The time's up and the master wants something else. So that's this game. Essentially, you're wandering around a few screens in the basement uh, of this castle, picking up objects, opening the trapdoor, letting out monsters, picking them up, putting them together, solving little puzzles, and trying to feed him upstairs and get a paycheck at the end of the week. That's what this game is. So to give you an idea of what this looks like, this is from the same guy who did Popeye, Don Priestley, and it shows it's a very similar graphical style, being massive detail sprites and characters wandering and bouncing about. And, uh, you know, on that respect, actually does a quite an, an excellent job of replicating that claymation style of the TV show. This is a really, you know, visually pleasing game. What it kind of misses, though, and, and from what I thought, was that it because of that nature of those big graphic it's not quite as slow as Popeye but it's not what I would call pacey and so it has that what it lacks is it misses that anarchic nature of the show itself because Trapdoor was always a bit crazy you never knew what was coming out there was always something weird going on Burke and you had Boney going oh Burke and all the crazy stuff and Drup bouncing about and it was you know it was a, a very strange very very British mid-80s children's show where you didn't know really what the hell was going to happen from one moment to the next and this kind of almost kind of tries to replicate that but because of those visuals it just doesn't have that oomph it just lacks it it's a symptom of the visual style because like Popeye it's just not that fast um, and when there's quite a lot moving around on screen it can slow up a fair bit which is a problem when you want something to be a bit like I said a bit anarchic and a bit faster it's it's not bad it's not as bad as Popeye it's a better game than Popeye I thought and there's some nice puzzles but I did run into a problem uh, completing one of the puzzles I'll come to that in a moment the problem I have is just if you you know it's just a bit too slow and a bit dull and a bit treacly again so you're just kind of wandering around picking some stuff up and once you've got past the nice visuals there's not really that much here I didn't find so you know and, and it just misses that madness of the show which is what I really wanted in a game like Trapdoor and I don't know if it, the, the visual style that was chosen was the right thing for this I would have preferred something that allowed it to move at a faster pace and sort of had a bit more craziness to it that's what i wanted and i kind of broke it on the first puzzle because i picked up a worm um and put it on the dumb waiter and sent it up um but i didn't put the can on it so he sent it back down saying it must be in a can or whatever the problem was at that point i then couldn't pick the worm up off the dumb waiter and i got the can and then i couldn't put the can on the dumb waiter because the worm was there and thus i broke the game oh. so that was problematic at that point so that's why i stopped playing really it was all right i mean it's okay i suppose if you didn't break the game it would be okay and if you like that popeye thing you want something a bit faster and you're a big fan of trapdoor you might get something from this but i just wanted something faster paced what, what did you think pretty much the same deal actually i never really liked the tv series I liked. I actually quite liked the voiceover. It was Willie Rushton, wasn't it, who did the voice for this? And I quite liked. I quite liked the style of it. It's that classic anarchic sort of claymation, claymation, or is it plasticine claymation type thing, wasn't it, in the TV it's, show? It's, it's along those lines, isn't it? Yeah, more yeah, style, more, like, more style. Yeah, so like. plasticine, you know, you know what it is. It's Ardman's type type sort of deal. So I just, but I never was. It, it never really had much appeal to me. The TV show. So the game was never really going to be that interesting to me the idea of it was sound enough and some parts of it were okay it was obvious that it was by you know popeye's creator for want of a better description which meant that it had big sprites but slow sprites and you know it suffered from and you could move in the same way so you could move sort of behind objects and up and into things and move around and all that just slowly and ploddy so i thought it's exactly the same as you it was just a it was ploddy and slow i suspect it was probably better on other 8-bit machines than the commodore 64 version because i think it was out in pretty much all formats 
But at its heart, I suppose, it is a trapdoor game. And it did look like the trapdoor. The characters did look like it. It played out like a very slow episode. So Yeah, um, yeah no, that's so what it was, yeah. So it was just slow. And the like you say, the anarchic sense of it is lost in that kind of slowness. So it just became a bit boring. And, you know, because I think you can actually... The idea is that um, once you've appeased the, the thing upstairs, the ill-tempered thing, isn't it? I think it is. Once you've appeased that with enough meals, um, you actually get money out of the safe, don't you? And I think that's the goal. But I, yeah, I, yeah, but yeah. you can so but you can actually um, start this game in sort of two different ways, can't you? You can start it as a learner Burke, where you get four tasks to complete, or Super Burke, where you get five tasks to complete. And if you do that in different ways, I don't really know what the payoff really of that is. It's the same game underneath the hood. So it wasn't a game I owned. Um, I agree with the Zap review, apart from I think it's perhaps a tad high for something like this. But I it is visually appealing. No, I'd have put this in the 70s. It, it, it's certainly better than other children's TV games we've had, like Danger Mouse and stuff like that. So at least it's better sure, than God, those. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. just, it just it wasn't a concept that interested me. And they're not really puzzles, are they? It's just the same thing over and over. You know, feed the thing, get, them, get the worms in the can. It's not going to take a genius to figure that out, really. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was all right. But uh, I think it was probably more of a 60% for me. And it had a version of the trapdoor music in it, I think. But it was all right. It was one of those games where it kind of sits in that middle ground where it's neither really crap. It's not bad enough to be crap and it's not good enough to be ace. It's just kind of sat in a middle ground of kind of average. Um, yes. You know, it's, yeah, not, it's not slow enough to be super slow. It's not fast enough to be quick. It's kind of just stuck in a limbo middle ground where, you know, there's an, an irony to it being stuck in limbo, actually, which we'll come to later, but it's kind of stuck in a sort of a limbo and it's <laughs> yeah, neither good. It's not good at either. But um, that's my understanding of Trapdoor. So uh, sorry, Burke, but you'll have to keep on appeasing that thing in your own slow way. Yeah, yeah, you will, because I'm not going to do it for you. Not not at that pace. So that's Trapdoor. I'm not going to say Trapdoor. That's too obvious. <laughs> I just did, but I'm not. I'm not going <laughs> to. Uh, <laughs> that's twice now. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I said it once. So I'm not going to say it again. But anyway, yeah, so that's Trapdoor. Let's, let's move along slowly um, into the next game, because you don't want to approach this next game too fast. <laughs> So, Graham, you've got this one. It was a cheapie. It was Street Surfer. Street and, uh, Surfer. Just so you can relive it, I, I've posted in the agenda, I've put the title screen up there at the top if you if you like yes, it. Yes, yes, and, yes. And, I see and, that. And where he's uh, farting out a massive flame. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It's uh, quality, that. Program sculptured software. It's not going to help this game. Cheapness. <laughs> so, it's just, there's a, clearly a recycling agenda to this game. The idea is you're on a skateboard, flying along the highway, picking up litter, essentially, and you can recycle things. You've got to be aware of the things that are on the road, and obviously of things on the road itself, including chickens, strangely enough. I seem to remember seeing a chicken. You can have accidents. Every time you have accident, you lose life, obviously. You can actually, that can be replenished by drinking soft drinks that are thrown away by other drivers. A concept that's truly gross. So, you know, because how do you know what that's in that drink? Don't go, just a word's advice, do not do that, ever. <laughs> that's true. No, it didn't occur to me, absolutely, because you glug it down and you get, yeah, you glug that down like a madman. Exactly, no wonder he's feeling a bit ropey. So, and at the end of these levels, these stages, you obviously you recycle things and it tells you sort of information about how many miles you got left and, and all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of, I don't suppose it's a race, but it's kind of a, a recycle the stuff, race along, and it's done in a kind of, the graphics are done in kind of a, the best way i can describe it and the easiest way to visualize it is pole position with a skateboarder instead of a car you're not wrong and it's that so that view you know that kind of racing along the road view so that's the game and it's just crap it's a stupid idea for a game anyway let's be honest but 
Okay, so we've got a rocket-powered skateboarder now, it would appear, on a motorway. So I got run over in one second of starting the game, within one second, <laughs> by a car coming that came from behind me just ran me over. And then as soon as I tried to get any speed up, it ran me over. Another car ran me over from behind. <laughs> As you gradually increase your speed in this game, the music speeds up. Now that, yes, sounds, it that, does. that sounds like a good idea in theory, but it's not. It's a stupid idea because eventually it sounds like crazy music babble, like just horrible. And if you get to that speed, not that you'll be at that speed for long because you'll be dead within three seconds of it getting that fast or maybe slightly less. As you try and navigate to pick up the recycled stuff, which is really hard, and fly around the track, which is kind of crazy bendy, and get hit repeatedly from behind and from objects, you're never going to really enjoy this experience. The logic of this game defies reality. It's so stupid. So avoid things, apart from the things that don't avoid you, which is the cars that repeatedly run you over from behind. I lost so many lives just by being run over. In the uh -huh. end, I just like blocky NAF graphics, bloody awful soundtrack music, stupid animation, really stupid animation, arseholes. This game is a load of arseholes. <laughs> so it took no. you a while to get there, <laughs> but I'm glad you. I'm glad you finally did. It's just, it's just. I hated it. I hated everything about it. It was awful. I, I don't really yeah. like skateboarding games either. You know, I hated it. It was crap. Utter crap. Utter, utter, utter crap. And never, ever make a game with the music speeds up when you're on a skateboard like that again. Ever. Whoever did that. Ever. Could you imagine if they did that in like Tony Hawk's or something? Any game where where the music oh, just when skate. it's not it's not just you know. If the thematic of the music changed to make it more dramatic, okay, a la Halo later down the line. But can you imagine if you played Halo and then you're in that final race at the end of Halo and the music just sped <laughs> up? It just be, it just becomes stupid, which it does in this game, and it doesn't help you. It actually makes it worse. So no, 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 no. And I can't imagine you liked it, but you never know. What did you think? Oh no, it was god, it was god awful. I mean, it, it's thingy, isn't it? It's Subway Surfer and that kind of nonsense. It's yeah, it's on yeah, it, right? Yeah. It's it's an, it's an endless god. And it, you're right. It's it's a weird concept of drinking other people's bottles that they discard out of their <laughs> yeah, cars. Don't, like don't do you that. know, when they don't no really don't do that. The cars. I thought the cars looked like um, they look like UFOs, um, not like cars. They were they were rubbish. The sprites were rubbish. The the road was wobbly. You were a crap sprite yes. when you got flung off your your skateboard you look crap everything looked yeah. crap yeah when you actually did recycle some bottles at the end it took for it took forever yeah it was really boring and really dull and it just got set very samey very quickly yeah. i mean it's 29 percent at 2.99 i mean that's one percent for every 10 pence um <laughs> <laughs> and i think that's too much so shit why is why, why is there a chicken because it does in the instructions it says something about there's a chicken on there and you'll see why <laughs> I didn't see why. <laughs> well, I just the, saw that's the chicken. joke, isn't it? Well, you're actually seeing why, why did the, the chicken, chicken cross, cross the road. road? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I get it, but it was crap, and it's well, not a funny it's, joke. Well, it's not exactly. It's not a joke. The only joke is that they, <laughs> you paid money for this game. That's the joke. You're the joke. Absolutely, it's the joke on the children. It's, it is a joke on the children. Yeah, this is ConnellCochran.com. <laughs> By Connell Cochran Software. It is, yeah. If he had a software, yeah. If he, if they, if they made software, they did, and it was this game. And they would use the Commodore sixty four because it had loads of brown like gravy that powered his automations. <laughs> so they wouldn't make it on any other platform. Just stupid, stupid game. Yeah, this was rubbish. Um, it was a stupid idea as well, and like that thing. Like, no, at no point in this game are you skating away from an explosion. No, no, not and at all. And that, nor do you, nor do you look like some Mad Max sort of neighbors cast off <laughs> no you don't at all you don't look anything like that that graphic as, as you look in that graphic it's just crazy i'm not sure what's going on and that skateboard has got no it's got no sort of power on it so no. he must have the most powerful thighs and calves known to man <laughs> to get up to a speed that is faster than a car yeah and worryingly i just i didn't notice it before really but it says program sculptured software then it says enhancements what are By they binary design what did they do to um, enhance it 
Because if they've enhanced something, that game must have been bloody awful if that's an enhanced version. Goodness I know. Me. I, I they put the chicken know. in. <laughs> Do you know what this game needs? Needs more chicken. <laughs> Why? Just put chicken in. I said put a chicken put in, in the instructions. We're in charge of enhancements. <laughs> this game will be enhanced tenfold with a chicken. Did you say penfold? No, tenfold. A tenfold. Now make with a chicken. Come on. <laughs> Get it clucking. Cluck, cluck. Oh, God awful. Crap. Street Surfer. Never. Really rubbish. No, it's no, probably a pun. I'm, like not, even, I'm not even giving like it a pun. No, no. Well, uh, no. Shit Surfer. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Let's let's move along. Let's move along like this. The chicken across the road. To our next game, we've still got loads of games. There's loads of games released this month, so we've got three. There's still more coming up in this session. It's a shit ton. Yeah, so this one is a 9.95 game. This is Dante's Inferno. Now, I know you're a big fan of the original, uh, you know, the, the original text. I know you like that sort I of thing, am. so please be kind on my pronunciations. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm just getting that up there. So I don't know if you pronounce it Dante Alighieri. Is that how you pronounce That's it? That's right, correct. All That's right, Dan, so this is a game based on Dante Alighieri's classic story of the pilgrim's descent through the various levels of hell to reach purgatory is that right correct Have i got this right so far okay yeah, all right, purgatory right. purgatory yeah so you know i put here nothing like a light, little light classical literature to spice <laughs> up the game world yeah that's always you know good good you've got to go for it next up you know next game is homer's odyssey um and then the uh, canterbury t- and then the canterbury game based on the canterbury tales oh yeah yeah and then f- just follow that with the bible <laughs> so uh, um, oh yeah the game based on, there is loads of games based on the bible there is rubbish yeah so you play this this pilgrim geezer um and you've got to traverse some levels so these levels are what you've got to traverse so you start off in limbo i believe uh, which is uh just a, a well it's limbo which is a very small maze with a, with a cave entrance and then you have to go down through various circles of hell circle one has the virtuous non-christians circle two is filled with the lustful yes circle three are the gluttons circle four are the hoarders and the spendthrifts i Those didn't bastards. think they would get along <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a weird combo they're both in the same circle get in that circle circle five is the wrathful circle six sees you having to pass the gates of dis to reach the heretics circle seven sees you in the world of violent sinners and you have to pass the river of phlegathon the Ew. wood of suicides and the burning sand and while circle eight is called malbulge <laughs> and it says evil pockets <laughs> but i just read that as male bulge <laughs> <laughs> Which is the equivalent of evil pockets. <laughs> I, I don't know if I'd read this wrong, but I've, I've, no, I've, I've, I've written this. Yep. And the ninth layer sees you in the lake of ice containing Lucifer. All right. So that's it. This is the story of this. I've never read the original. I have to say it is not, it's not been on my wheelhouse to ever read. I imagine it's quite interesting, but you know, it's, I'm not going to, I'm not ever going to read it. So it's just, that's that. I know what it's about roughly. It's, you know, what it is. So what does all this entail then? All these circles and everything like that. Well, what it include? what it actually down, boils down to is trundle around some boring mazes, <laughs> picking up objects in either hand to use in certain places while trying to avoid instant death at the hands of such horrific things as bees, water, windy people and small dogs. Yeah. That's what I got. We've all been there. Um, yeah, absolutely. That's like a Friday night out here. Especially the windy people and the bees. <laughs> They're all over the place. Can't get away from them. And water. Water, especially if I walk into water, it's, I'm just done for. I, mean, the, the, I don't know. You said you were looking forward to this game. And I could never quite understand why because I don't have fond memories of this. And those fond memories, not fond memories, were just reinforced upon playing it again. This is not an enjoyable game. 
It's really dull again. This is an episode of dull games. It's got dull games and, and the music. Oh, it's like it's like Denton Designs who made this teamed up with the Fist 2 people and just made <laughs> Dullsville. And, and we says, oh, how can we make it worse? Oh, we just make music that grates on you, like nails on chalkboard. I hated it. I hate, just really didn't like this game. It's just a couple of minutes of that music, and it's like ding, it's like oh, shut up, please shut up, <laughs> and it's just no fun at all to play. There's no, there's no pleasure in this game, and I get it. Maybe they're trying to sort of well, it wouldn't be pleasurable going through the seven circles of hell, but then why make a game of it? Don't make me sort of. I don't believe you're trying to make some meta commentary on video games here. You've made a bad game. The visuals are okay in a blocky 64 cent, but it all looks the same. And and considering the source material, I don't understand A, why they bothered, as it seems way out of the league for the 64 to do any justice to, and B, when they did bother, this was all they could come up with. It's an infuriating experience that really is like wandering through your own level of hell. I did not like this. Now, you said you were looking forward to this, so how, how did you find your replay? Because I, I don't know. You may be less, less down with it than I am. <laughs> I look forward to it because I I actually quite like the music in this game. I quite like that baroque tonality to it, and it's uh, that's as much as I would go. And I I remember the first couple of levels wouldn't matter, would it? Because they're all the same, really. So <laughs> yeah. you know, every circle of hell in this game looks identical to the last one, except you're attacked by varying different weird shit. Mm-hmm. It belies the entire epicness of the Divine Comedy. This game, yes. it just you know. So what they've taken the kind of they know. Someone went, "Have you read the?" Divine Comedy, and someone's gone, no, what's it about? And that's how this game came about. <laughs> so it's this is like the TLDR version of, of, that, of the actual Divine Comedy, it's which, the, by the uh, way, is an amazing It's the Divine Comedy for dummies. Yes, it is. And so take all the, you know, all the really important parts out. So Virgil's an important part of Dante's Inferno, the guide that you have, the poet guide that takes you through all the various circles. You don't bother with that. Just make it about a single guy who's got you know, deep pockets running around in a kind of this game. Uh, and oh, I didn't like it. It didn't convey anything really meaningful about Dante's Inferno. It didn't really need to be called Dante's Inferno. It could have just been a sort of, you know, maze game. <laughs> <laughs> El maze. Yeah, there was parts that made me laugh out loud. For some reason, every time I got attacked by bees, I just kept thinking of not the bees, not the bees. <laughs> every time that, just, yeah. that gave me a chuckle for all the wrong reasons. This would have been better if you were playing Nicolas Cage. It would have been. Maybe you were. It made me laugh that every time you went, you know, this game is basically just go down. That's it. Just go down, down. You know, as you work, don't you way down, there's another door. We go down. Just go down through that. And it's just keep, just, it's just keep going down. And I guess you're descending into, you know, the circles of hell and all that. You're not really. If hell is, for some people, I imagine, this game, which is just an endless cycling repeat of this first level with varying different crap monsters in it. I thought it was naff. Said, yeah. There was some, there's some fun. There's just funny moments in this game. At one point, the maze makes no sense, and you actually, I don't think you can actually get to the point where you, where you need to be. It's just, it's ridiculously hard. So the point when you're in reality never going to make it. You're never going to make this through to Circle Nine, which is the Lake of Ice where Lucifer lives. You're never going to make it there. You're certainly not going to get past the male bulge bit with the <laughs> demons in it. Let alone Medusa in the heritage and all the See, stuff. I was, that, you know, I was really hoping that when I got there, it was uh, David Bowie. <laughs> The, the Mal, I think I don't know if it's ma- male bulge. I'm, I'm just going to call it male mal, mal bulge or male bulge, but it's actually just the, for for me now forevermore. It's just the male bulge. So, <laughs> I'm sorry, I've ruined it. For no, you. You, haven't, you haven't ruined it. I think actually just that complements it really because it is a divine comedy after all. <laughs> so this game lacks so much specificity that it's impossible to figure out what you're doing, what purpose, and why. And wrapping it in a really epic poem doesn't help you because there's nothing to do with that really. Graphics are really bitty, and I thought they were just bitty and horrible, and a lot of brown in this game. Lots of brown you know mm-hmm. my idea of hell it, there is such a thing 
would probably be fire and brimstone. And as you get further down, it gets more reddish and brown, I guess. A bit like, you know, if you have really hot curry, you're going to suffer from brown down below and red. <laughs> That's what happens here. <laughs> the music is kind of classical Baroque. I quite like the music, Fred Gray's music. For this It's the oh. only decent thing in it. The game just lacks the depth that material it's based upon provides. And because of that, it's just a dull maze game with very little to it, and which I didn't like. Mm-hmm. I think it's a bit of a rip-off for the money. Go and buy the book and read that. You'll get far more from that. You know, this is a 14th century, you know, classic piece of literature. So go and get that, read that. It is written in epic poem style. So it's, you know, it's it's not it's not, it's not a pick up and go. It ain't easy to read type with no big words. It's complex stuff. <laughs> but, you know, go for that. Because if you're playing this game, you will be abandoning in hope. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> Abandoned yeah. Hope, all you who enter it should have been on the cassette inlay. <laughs> yeah, because it felt really cheap in places as well, because like... It is. It says that, doesn't it? It says, it says Abandoned Hope, who enter here on the beginning, then it scrolls across. Yeah. But it's not smooth scrolling. It's no. just, it's character. It's just a character, moving across a character at a time. Yeah. And I was like, you can't, you're not even doing that in a nice, smooth scrolling effect. No, it was particularly boring and dull, but there you go. Yeah. And why can't I walk over rocks? <laughs> good question. Just dreadful. Yeah, no. This is not a good start to this episode, and I'm not sure it gets much better. No, it's uh, we're descending into our own circles of hell here. Ah, we really are, sort of thing. So I, I don't want to go to the male bulge, thanks. I'd rather not. Bulge. Well, that's like when you said, you know, having a curry sort of thing. That's that's evil pockets. <laughs> yeah, well, th- I mean, the way you controlled objects in this game was weird, wasn't it? Because it kind of cycled through your pockets. It was ever so strange. If you press the fire button, it sort of rotated through your pockets. It doesn't matter. I didn't, what, and what are you supposed to do with those objects? I was clueless. I'm like, I picked something up. I'm like, okay, what do I do with that? And you just have to stand with it at some point and hold it well, out. And I, you think so. In some instances, you do like paying the ferryman to go across the river and all that. But yeah, yeah. I re- when I was reading about this, apparently some of the objects from the beginning of the game, if you don't pick them up, you have to go back for them because you need them at like circle seven. So you've got to go back to circle one to pick up an object to go all the way back through to circle seven. In other words, it's not going to happen. <laughs> Sod that. Yeah. Bugger that. I think, no. John, I think old Lucifer was... Sat in the game design room for this game. <laughs> and I'm like, All right, we get it. <laughs> uh, so this is a uh, Dante's Infer. No. <laughs> there you go. Yes, good. Good there's one. No, there's, there's nothing we can't pun. No. Um, here we go. So let's let's move on quickly. Let's yes. uh, leave that circle of hell and move into maybe another one. I don't know. You tell me. We've got a year-old Spectrum port coming up. Yes. And it's quite a classic Spectrum game, this. I think it's quite highly regarded on the Spectrum. Uh, this is Highway Encounter. So, Graham, tell us about the the encounters on the highway, Highway Encounter. When it loaded up, I was like, oh, God, isometric Spectrum port. They send shivers down my spine at this point. However, however, this one ain't bad. This one ain't bad at all. It's a neat, quite mm. a neat little strategy action game. So you play it in an isometric view. You've got to basically guide a bomb along a sort of a stretch of road, essentially, or a, a, some kind of roadway, to the sort of end bit, so the end, so the end. And in, and I think there's a... I don't know how many screens you have to go through. I think it must be in, must be 20 or something. 30. 30, I'll say. There's quite a few. So you have to sort of navigate your way through by guiding this bomb along. And the bomb sort of sits in front of you, and all of your little men sort of stand in a row behind it. And certain objects get in the way, and your person that you're playing, they're kind of... So they're your extra players, aren't they? They're your lives essentially extra lives yeah yeah so your extra lives sort of sit behind you in like a line and you have to go ahead and move things out the way so that your 
bomb can be travel unhindered through the progress. And obviously there's things in the way, barrels, things that destroy you, explosives and other enemies in the way to try and hinder that from happening. So you are Vortron, I believe. And I thought you looked a bit like a, a well, you look, you're a robot essentially. And so you've got to, the, the idea is the way it works is it's constantly moving. So the bomb is constantly moving unless something is stopping its progress or something is hindering it. And so it's being pushed by you. And so you you were you and the four Vortrons, which made me feel like it was a band. <laughs> so welcome the four Vortrons. Here we are. Bobby, Alex, Robbie and Jim. So the, really the game is because you can travel ahead of the bomb and clear the way. So that's kind of the way the game works. So your bomb is always going to be on the move with your fellows behind it. You've got to sort mm-hmm. of travel ahead, clear the area, clear the way, try and think about the logic of it because you can deter- change the path of it and if the bomb is left in an unsafe location it's possible you can just lose your lives bam 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 so you've got to you know really think about how you play this and once all your spare lives are, are, are done then you're done for so that's kind of the game and there's some really neat touches in this game so it, it, it's for starters even though it's an isometric 3d looking thing there's actually a combination of graphic sprites in this to give it kind of a 64-ish look so there is kind of a, a nice pace to it it's quite fast and it does play that way so it's kind of a half and half but a quite a good one I personally found the controls are a sodden nightmare um, in this because it's it's rotational control. So it's not up, down, left, right, which is kind of what you might expect. You actually rotate Vortron on the spot and you can sort of move him at angles. And he's actually mm-hmm. not, it's not just up, right, or I suppose you'd call it up, down, left, right, or the isometric equivalent of that. Um, you rotate in a 360 and you can sort of move sort of angularly, which gets confusing on an isometric screen. So, you, you know, your brain starts to get a bit, you know, because it's quite hard to control. <laughs> so sometimes for me, it might have felt a bit easier if it wasn't rotating controls. And it, But I don't know if that, that would have made it sort of not have the appeal that it had. But either way, I, I found that quite frustrating and a bit difficult. So I thought that was maybe the area for me where it let it down a little bit on what was otherwise quite an interesting game. The rotating controls... I think just, I think, could it have just used up down the right fire? Could it have used, could it have been done that way? I don't know. But I think it played out some really nice ideas and did them cleverly with nice little clever touches. I like the fact that it played out the way it did, that you had little extra guys in a line and that was your lives and you had to think about keeping them and, and running that. And it's a step in the right direction for a Spectrum conversion for the C64, just. And so I think I quite liked it. I'd never played it before. It was the first time I'd ever come across Highway Encounter at all. Oh, really? So, yeah, so I'd never played it. I'd never even oh, seen wow. it on the Spectrum. So I, I came at it quite fresh. And remember that I generally don't like isometric games. I doubly don't like Spectrum games. And I triply don't like isometric Spectrum games. And I quadruply don't like isometric <laughs> Spectrum games that ported onto the Commodore 64 badly. Thankfully, this is none of none of those things in, in unison. It is isometric. It is sort of a Spectrum port but I actually thought it was really, really quite good. And I think it's a game I might go back to and sort of try and get a bit more used to the controls because I thought it was quite good fun. There's a quirkiness to it which appealed to me. So that was my take. I, I thought it was all right. What about you? Yeah. I'm, yeah, so I just, uh, I have, so this is like my, um, what's your, Attic Attack? Yeah. This is possibly one of my favourite games on the Spectrum. So I have played this before quite a bit and I'd actually played it on the Amstrad as well. My friend had it on the Amstrad and it's the, I think, People might think about, I think seem to remember the Amstrad version being slightly better than the Spectrum version, but they're, they're much for much because they're similar machines, aren't they, with similar chipsets, I believe. So, yeah, so this is a, a port. So I, I was, was wondering how this would turn out. And, yeah, like you, when that title screen, I was like, okay, let's have a go at this. Let's see how it goes. But this is actually all right. And I mean, I've likened it to Dalek Conga, which is what I thought, because yeah. I've always thought it likes this. Because you control what, essentially, a load of Daleks. Or 
to put it more in your wheelhouse, this is like controlling ne- the the Nesta from yes. Battle Beyond the Stars. Yeah, Nesta. Yeah. Um, so if you wander along, and it's it, you know, I think I agree mostly with you. It, it is it's a port. It, it does some nice things with the sprites at times. The visuals are quite thing. It's quite nippy. I think the the speed actually is almost to its detriment at times because I think there's it's a bit too. What's the word I'm looking for? It's a you you, you go from like zero to sixty really far too quickly. There's no you don't feel like you've got much fine fine control um, to just sort of you sort of judder around the place a bit because you yeah. you don't want to hold down because you can boo you all over the shop and the rotational thing because i think yeah you're rotating to the eight directions don't you so you've got yeah. up down left right diagonals and so it can be a yeah it can get a bit where you're spinning around because you'll hold left and it'll turn really quickly and you'll be whizzing about and yeah it can get problematic at times and when you've got a fast moving aliens moving around that are trying to get at you and you're trying to aim up to shoot them in 3d isometric style it can get a bit problematic but you know that's that's the game and and i think what it does is is the 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 core idea is quite clever and i love the fact that your lives are always on screen and you just got to keep those robots alive or then they just move along forward and you just keep keeping kicking the things out the way and blooting them i'm not sure if i experienced it on on the other versions because it's been years and years and years since i played this but i did there was some quite serious sprite flickering yeah there was Um, a bit i don't know know if you came across that but was which especially i had to think about three of those weird things flying around and all my sprites and it was like it was like hey what's ah yeah it's yeah. hard to sort of judge on screen and i think so from a technical point of view there was some there were some issues here which I, I i don't remember them from the previous version but it might be a 64 thing it might have been done differently on the other on the other machines i'm not sure but it did put me off a little bit it's okay it's a decent enough version of this i don't think it's the de facto version i think if you're gonna go and play this and if you want to play this properly sort of thing go for the spectrum or the amstrad versions which i think both are both are superior because it, they played more to that those machine strengths but yeah it's a good game and there's a, there's a sequel do you, do you know there's a sequel i didn't which i think yeah there's another there's a sequel it's called alien encounter okay uh, which, which the name build build builds upon this so there is another one coming and i do think there is a 64 port of that as well um so we do have another one coming of these but yes i think 79 percent is about right yeah i think this is a good well-designed game and you know even though it's a year old what was the other one we had that was a year old that we the year old spectrum the one stop the express oh god but whereas this is a year old this actually doesn't feel like a year old it feels like quite a fresh idea and well mm. well done so yeah highway encounter is, is, is a decent game and this is a it's not the best port but it's a it's a decent port of a mm. spectrum you know it's one that plays that strength and it moves pretty fast almost too fast at times and despite some of the sort of technical hiccups and things it's uh, still a pretty decent version of it so if this is the only version of it you can get then i, I would still recommend giving it a look yeah mm. it's all right yeah i'm surprised you never played it before uh, or I've even heard come of it. across it no i'd, I'd yeah, maybe heard i think maybe i'd heard it but i certainly had never played it oh weird because it is one of the big spectrum titles that a lot of people sort of yeah can, just just no just not one that ever come across my radar i don't know why well there we go if you've got no other way of playing it then yeah the 64 version of highway encounter is a decent little port so en- enjoy your way is what we say enjoy it all right so what's our last game let's move on <laughs> Our last game for this section. Well, it's the gold medal. It's another gold medal. But why is it a gold medal, Graham? Why? Well, because it's got no rating. <laughs> it has no rating. No, there are no rating. There's no. There's no scores for this. They didn't feel it was fair to rate it. They got lots of. I, I do believe. I seem to remember in later issues as happened. There's the issues coming after this. There's a lot of letters about this. Mm. <laughs> like, what are you on about? 
Yeah. So this is the Sentinel. This is £9.95, and yes, it's an unrated gold medal. So, I don't know. Let's have a talk. What do we say about the Sentinel? So, okay, so this is a Jeff Crammond game. We've spoken about Jeff Crammond before. He did Rev. We'll go on to do Stunt Car Racer. But in the middle of those two games, he decides to produce a 10,000 level 3D strategy puzzle game, as you do. You know, why not? So that thing, then that that puzzle game is the Sentinel. So what is the Sentinel? The Sentinel is a game where it sees the Sentinel, the the thing from the title, moving from planet to planet. This is the story, I believe, leeching life from it and then moving on to the next. It's kind of like um, Aliens from Independence Day, I guess, or most a lot of enemies, aliens, things. They just go from planet to planet, suck up all the resources, and then bugger off to the next. They bloody well do. But this is all about, but what the Sentinel does is it actually sucks in the energy. So it transforms the energy from one place and just absorbs it. And so that's what this game is all about. It's all about absorbing and recreating energy because energy cannot be destroyed. It can only be, it's only, you know, as energy can't be, energy can't be destroyed. It can, it can only be changed. So energy exists, so whatever. So something hits something, the energy is transferred and so on and so forth. So um, if someone doesn't do something, all life in the universe will be absorbed. Now, I actually was walking home um, after playing this and I was walking and I was thinking, I got me thinking about this. And I don't know if this is the story, but I, I, I kind of got a bit of an extrapolation mode. And I thought, I wonder if this is his way of saying how the universe is created and ended. And I wondered if like, so it absorbs all the energy and then booms out in a big bang and then comes back millions and millions of years later and absorbs it all back up again and then booms out again. I digress. That was just me thinking. Have you been watching The Matrix? <laughs> I, you know, I just thought, well, big, it's a big bang, isn't it? And it has to all the, you have to have a big a big shrink. Yes. <laughs> that's not someone, that's not a rather large psychiatrist. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you said you'd, you'd worn a strap on and you had this idea. <laughs> and something went bang. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not sure what you were doing at the time. But, uh... <laughs> what are you on about strap on? It sounded, it sounded for a second like you said, I was walking along, I was wearing a strap on and then something went kaboom and then it, I absorbed everything and then it went kaboom again I'm like, yeah. are you blindfolded is this thing on is this thing on uh, well yeah that would be a big bang and a big shrink hey anyway um, anyway moving on so the sentinel yeah so 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 in order to fight the sentinel a robot is created that is similar to the sentinel and that it can absorb and transform energy and thus if it gets to a point it can absorb the sentinel itself but the problem is this is no easy task the sentinel can only be absorbed by seeing its feet mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a weird thing but there you go you have to be able to see the feet of the sentinel as the sentinel is located on the highest part of each level it's tricky to get to a position where you can see its feet because you have to you start quite low and you have to work your way up so this is made more difficultly because the robot cannot move in and of itself it is a stationary being just like the sentinel the sentinel just rotates and the only way you can move is you have to create another robot version of yourself on a location where you can see it and see its feet and then transfer to it and then turn around and absorb the robot you just got because you need to keep your energy levels up because you know obviously absorbing the robot creating a robot takes energy you then have to absorb the robot you just left to get that energy back and so forth there are trees on the landscape you can absorb them to get more energy and you're going to need to do this because moving around in and of itself costs energy you it's a really hard game to describe i have to say it is so so the the it's kind of a, it's a 3d the levels are in 3d and they're all sort of there only sort of exist of four colors they're like the flat areas are green and blue checkerboard and the the sort of sides of the mountains and stuff or the rise whatever you want to call them are white or black depending on where the shadow is from the sun i believe so you can create three things you can create robots boulders and trees so if you create a boulder you can stick a robot on top of the boulder which means you can then transfer into that which means you now have a higher vantage point to see higher up on the 
the level to move to a higher vantage point to create another robot and so on and so forth and thus that's how you work your way up the level to be able to get to see the you know the feet of the sentinel itself the problem is is the sentinel is constantly rotating and if it happens to see you it will start to absorb your energy and thus you're kind of done for unless you've got two options move quickly or hyperspace away hyperspace away uh, moves you to a random place on the level can be up down anywhere who knows but it costs quite a lot of energy and if you run out of energy you're dead you're done for if the sentinel can see you but it can't see your feet it will create a, a meanie a, a, an enemy nearby that can see you that will just start absorbing your energy and will uh, also as well automatically hyperspace you out of there so again all bad so you have to kind of strategize in real time your way through the level moving getting higher and higher on the level to try and see the sentinels feet and you start off at level zero 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 and i'm not kidding there are ten thousand of these levels to move through so at the beginning it asks you to enter a number if you don't and each level has a code so i i've started to wonder at this point this is 1986 mm. who has a notebook big enough for 10,000 codes. That notebook's going to be massive. That's a massive, yeah, it's just, you know, crazy level. Because mm. each level, because this isn't a fast game, which is one of the downsides of it. The three, It's 3D, you scroll left and right, look up and down, you can target stuff, but it's not a particularly fast-moving game. No. It moves in 3D in sort of like, you rotate in like uh, eight or 16, so a full circle, you've got to go like 16 moves, and it's like, boop, 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 and it takes a while. So it's just this slow, slow-paced game, but is I don't know. Um, it's very. It's a clever game. I mean, Zap. The review they gave it's like this couldn't have been realised in anything else. This is a, a wholly original game, and I guess at the time it kind of is. There's nothing much else like this that no. I, I, we've played or looked at. It's a, it's a really weird sort of thing, but. I think the the problem with it is just it's, I think coming back to it now is it's just that plodding speed and it's just not quite fast enough for you to react quick enough when the sentinel sees you and so yes you can try and work your way through the level to go from level to level up the sort of things by absorbing bolts and creating bolts and robots and trees and trying to spin round but it's just not quite fast enough and I, I you know it's it's such a unique experience that it does kind of work but I'm not sure it's for me I don't know and and. I, I can see why they got all giddy around it. You know, they, they really did. Apart from, I think Julian Rignall, who was a bit more like, I mean, it's all right. I'm not sure about, you know, because he, he was mm. like, okay, the others were all proper like, this is the most amazing thing since sliced bread. This is incredible. Mm. And I can, you know, there's something new has arrived sort of things like the Sentinel itself and it kind of just came and, and I'm not sure. So it's a hard game to kind of talk mm. about because there's not a lot else like it. Trying to describe it is hard enough. Trying to play it is you have to enter into a, an agreement with the game itself because, right, I get you. You're not going to move fast and it's something I'm just going to have to put time and perseverance into. And you do because each level is a challenge and you will die quite a few times. So I cannot imagine the process. I mean, I, I God knows how long the YouTube playthrough must be of this <laughs> for someone getting through all 10,000 levels. It must be massive, but that's what it is. That's what this game is. So I, I don't know. It's a hard one to sort of judge or give any kind of concrete... I, go play it. It's interesting. There's nothing else like it, but whether you'll like it or not is, well, that's a, a question only only you can answer, I think. And that's, you know, it's a, tr it's a tricky one, this one. What did, what did you think? Because I think I'm going around in circles right now. Funnily enough, the conclusion you've reached at the end there is exactly what conclusion that Zap reached as well. They said, you know, we can't really rate this. It's, you know, go, and, go find out for yourself. You decide because our guiding rules don't apply to this. I get that. It's an incredibly clever game, this. If you accept the parameters and the constraints of the game, and that's a big part of it. So if you're going to like it, you're going to have to accept that it's slow. The 3D is kind of slow. The pace of the game is slow. 
But it's a game that requires cerebral strategic thinking. It's keyboard controlled. And so, and you've got to, and it's a game that's going to make, require you to think. You can't, this isn't an arcade game. It has, doesn't have an arcade mentality. It's completely the opposite of that, really. And so it is mm-hmm. a, it's a very early strategy game. Well, not an early strategy game, but a very clever early strategy type game where you've got a, almost like a chess game. Almost, I imagine, you know, it's, if you describe the concept of chess or drafts or any of those games at its most crude, to somebody that had never heard of it or never come across it, it would be, you know, I'm not sure I'd want to do that, but it is what it is. You know, it's a 3D game, 3D models, simple-ish in its idea, you know, get to the high point and then absorb the thing, uh, absorb the Sentinel and hyperspace out of there and you get the next level. So if you like that kind of thing, great. For me, in my teens, I didn't like it at all. It just wasn't my type of game at all. So, you know, I'm not I'm not going to go from being a Ghosts and Goblins fan to suddenly liking Sentinel. It's just not going to happen. It's certainly it's just not in my remit to, to go from that kind of game to this. Mm-hmm. So as a teenager, no chance. This would never have, no matter how much Zap raved about it, this was never going to be a game I was going to get into. And I did rent it from J&M Software at the time, loaded it up. Now, within about five seconds, couldn't really do it, get it to do the things, Expect not really knowing what to do, and I thought, eh. So now, of course, for this podcast, uh, I'm a fully grown adult with, you know, still don't have as much time on my hands, so, you know, it was, it was still going to be slow. But I actually found it quite compelling, and, and not without merit, I have to say, on a replay. It's a hard one to review in terms of comparative gameplay, because, like you say, there's not really anything like it at all, certainly not in the context of the Commodore 64. So, But I still think that it's maybe Zap could have given it, an, could have given it some kind, because giving it a gold medal seems arbitrary. They may as well just not giving it anything or and just say go play it I rather than I still think you could have rated it. I mean, he's got graphics. I was, just com- well, I was just coming to that. So, I, But I think it's a cop-out that they didn't provide the scores for it myself. I think I would have been tempted to put it in mm. there because there's not much sound in it and they've reviewed games with less sound in it. I guess, you know, it is what it is. They did what they did. So for me, originally I didn't like it. But that doesn't mean it's not a very clever game. It is. On replay, I actually thought it had a bit more merit and maybe it's because I'm a bit more, you know, and I also know how to play it. So that helped. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd also so I'd looked online, I'd looked at looked at this, you know, some information, found the instructions, and so I knew kind of what I was doing with it. So I think it's some, it is quite unique and special in its own way, the Sentinel, and certainly in terms of its game design and its code base, is astonishing, really, in that clever way. This game is sort of ten thousand levels and everything else, but you know, that's ten thousand levels of cerebral, slow-moving three D stuff. Prepare yourself for that if that's what you want. <laughs> yeah, but it, it but it, it's yeah. but it isn't for me at all that isn't a game that's going to appeal to me i'm not gonna suddenly feel that i need to complete you know because you're also presented with them pretty much at random so you know if you complete level one you're not going to go to level two you go to level eight six three two one or whatever it doesn't it's all kind of your codes are kind of meaningless i don't think there's a progression maybe there is i don't know because i read somewhere that it does get harder as you go along so there must be some kind of scaling part of it i don't know do you not just go to level two when you do level one well i Maybe. I mean, I completed the first level just by building a tower of rocks, but absorbing as many trees as I could and building a tower of rocks, by the way. That was the reason that was, just, that was my way. Just found a way of being able to beam to the bottom and then did that. He gave me the code, but uh, I'm assuming I was at level two, but it's, you're not, you're not, it's not really that kind of game. You don't, it doesn't say, welcome to level two. It's just another yeah. level and you get a code for it. And then that's the same. It's exactly the same game on level two. From what I could see, at the, obviously the landscape was different, Sentinel different place, but the principle, everything was the same. Absorb the trees, absorb this, absorb that, don't absorb this, move there, move that, do this, do that. Yeah. I don't know. I think there's, I'm like you. Yeah, I'm struggle. I struggle to sort of. It's not. It's not. It's not a bad game at all. It's a very good game. But you've got to be into it. You've got to be into that and, and accept the parameters of it. Because if you don't, you're just going to not like it. 
And that's and that's as much as you can say about the Sentinel. I don't know that it's gold medal material. I suppose it's so unique, maybe it's gold medal. But give it a score, ninety-eight percent, perhaps, if, you, if that's what you believe. And stand See, because by I, I would I would argue that this is no dissimilar to other stuff as Alter Ego was. Yeah, no, I agree. I think you could, again give it a, if you're going to give it a score of gold medal, give it a ninety-seven, ninety-eight, ninety-nine percent. If that's what you're, if that's what you believe it's deserving of in Zap. That's what they should have done, but they, they didn't. I actually felt that it wasn't just a cop-out. It felt like it was a little bit of a marketing spin, a little bit, really. Felt a little, yeah, bit, yeah, a little bit like, you know, it's so good we haven't been able to give it a review. It felt a little bit no, yeah, contrived. Yeah, right, yeah. You know, a yeah. bit contrived for me, which is maybe why mm-hmm. Jazz Rigmill wasn't because he was one. For, he wasn't one for going for that kind of thing. I don't think in the magazine. You know, he was a pretty no, stand, pretty stand up guy, and maybe he thought, no, it's just a bit trite for me. A bit, bit, bit too. Uh, I don't know what the word is, but yeah. Anyway, go play the Sentinel if you like that kind of thing. But if you don't, don't. <laughs> no, don't, because you're not. It's not going to uh, turn you on to it. No, it's, it's not. not. Whatever, whatever it no. is. <laughs> Because yeah. I don't know what it is. No, it's not. <laughs> that's the thing. <laughs> All right, there we go. That's the Sentinel. That's uh, that's a lot for this. That's a that's a long old section. Mm. Um, so that's the first chunk of games we're looking at this week. So uh, we're going to take a quick break here from our sponsor, and then afterwards we'll be back where we'll be looking at films and TV for December '86. So uh, stick around. <laughs> Thanks to our sponsor, DavidHearnWriter.com, where you'll find stories influenced by classic games from the Commodore 64 and Amiga. His next book, Escape from the Commodore 64, is coming soon. While it might not be fun getting stuck inside your 64 in the 80s, at least the music was better. Join Sarah and Nell as they try to escape during a time when Aha, ELO, Duran Duran, Icehouse, Madonna and Kim Wilde ruled the airways. Oh, and how could we forget Jennifer Rush? Easily, it turns out. Visit DavidHearnWriter.com. That's David, H-E-A-R-N-E, Writer.com to find out more. All right, welcome back. So let's go and look at some films and TV, yeah, for a... Uh, Let's do it. Films and TV for uh, December 1986. Christmas period. What is the Christmas period delighting us with? Well, on TV, on the 6th of December, Doctor Who concludes its The Trial of a Time Lord Mm. story arc with part two of The Ultimate Foe. This would mark the final televised appearance of Colin Baker as the sixth Doctor before he was abruptly fired from the role. He was. He was indeed. Well, yeah. In fact, he was, yeah. No way around that. So. Didn't we speak about this before? Where they, the the crew said, if he comes back, we're never making another one. It's a com- yeah, kind of. It's a combination of factors that that all came together for for poor old uh, Colin Baker. He wasn't particularly liked by the fans. He was very very much a marmite doctor. Didn't really endear himself to them when in the very first episode where he appeared, he strangled his assistant and threw around the TARDIS like a rag doll, which is quite an amazing episode to watch because it's so bad. But that's what he did. He attacked her. Attacked his own assistant. First time Doctor's ever done that. Where Perry, poor old Perry, got strangled and thrown around and beaten up. So a bit weird. Did they get killed? No, Perry doesn't get killed. But the Doctor is going. He's just. He's just been. Um, he's just changed into Colin Baker. So he's just transformed um, into the oh, new okay. Doctor. He's still finding his his mojo, as it were. And for some reason, he just attacks his assistant. I can't remember the context of it now, but he attacks her in the TARDIS and sort of tries to tries to strangle her because for whatever reason he gets quite evil. Um, it's really strange, actually, that episode and. It, from that moment forth. Also, there's a number of factors outside of Doctor Who that came together. The producers didn't like him. I think at that point as well, I think Michael Grade took over um, the channel 
at one point, and I'm, I think he had, I don't know, you'd have to do a lot more digging into it than I have, but I seem to remember there was some issue with Michael Grade and Colin Baker's wife, I think, <laughs> allegedly. I think there was some issue there. I don't know all, all the details. Anyway, oh, he, was that, there, was his, uh, that was some, his final was appearance. Fondling of a sonic screwdriver or something. Something like that, yeah. I think um, he his. just wasn't liked. And what I, is interesting, actually, and and I'd say we, we talk about, I seem to talk about Doctor a lot in these bits, but one, one little final thing that is interesting is that Colin Baker's remit was to not portray the Doctor like the other Doctors did. He was meant to be portraying him as kind of more evil and kind of more self-absorbed self, um, and more paranoid. That was his remit. They said to him, don't play the Doctor like like a friendly, silly Tom Baker character or John Pertwee or any of these other Doctors. You know, play him like like he's got problems, like he's not very nice. We want a version of Doctor Who that isn't very nice. He's not a nice person to be around. He is very selfish. Mm. He has wandered the universe on his own. So I think Colin Baker took that so seriously that in the first episode he tried to kill his assistant, which was perhaps too far. <laughs> Especially if that wasn't <laughs> in the script. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Colin, what are you doing, man? Man, Colin! I say every time we talk about Doctor Who, go watch the episodes up until Colin Baker disappears. I mean, at the end of the day, they killed it because they brought in Sylvester McCoy. I'm not going to talk about that, but it's worth watching some of the Colin Baker episodes just to see because he is, he was told to portray the Doctor differently. You've got to remember that when you watch those because everyone had got used to Tom Baker and then he was replaced by Peter Davison and they were both kind of humble and nice and meek and Tom mm. Baker especially, you know, Jilly Baby and all that kind of stuff. And then Colin Baker came along. And if you actually watch it and, and in your mind, taking the context that he was told not to be like the others, it actually puts a different spin on when you watch those episodes. So, And they're all on BritBox at the minute. So it's it's definitely worth revisiting a few if, if you like that kind of thing, which, which I do. I obviously do. Yeah. Yeah. Wholesale. Definitely. Yeah, yeah do. <laughs> Absolutely. Massive fan. I'm wearing my Doctor Who outfit right now. He is. He is. <laughs> Only the top half, though. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a sonic screwdriver. I know. That's why I've got. That's why I've got the long. That's why I've got. <laughs> that's why I've got the long scarf on. <laughs> what is that buzzing sound? For a, for a, a modicum of decency. <laughs> Speaking of decency, eleventh of December, the IBA announces that BSB has been awarded a fifteen-year franchise to operate a satellite television service in the UK. Well, BSB. <laughs> British Sky Broadcasting to you and I. Is that what it was, BSB? Was it British, British yeah, yeah. Was it pre-Sky, post-Sky? Because it was it was BKSB, weren't they? And I'm not sure if British Sky Broadcasting were a Murdoch-owned thing or whether it was a Murdoch partnership. But eventually, they dropped the BSB and the, they dropped the Bs and just just left the S. Not the Bs. Don't drop the yeah. bees. <laughs> <laughs> the bees went off to uh, kill you in that rubbish game, and you were just left with the SS. I remember BKSB, and I remember... They're trainers, aren't they? They could be now. And I remember B-Sky-B. Yeah, that's what it was. BSB was well, B-Sky-B. Yeah, but I remember there was two. There were two warring factions, weren't there? There was the dishes on the side of the house, and then there was another company that had dishes on top of your there TV. There was the, uh, the square dishes, the yeah, square yeah, ones. Squarials. Yeah, squarials. Goodness me, it's yeah. taking me back. And then Sky won. <laughs> that's what matters is in the brief war. Sky won. The, the war lasted for all of 18 minutes. <laughs> it's like the war for Denmark. War for Denmark with Tesco. When, te yeah. when, tes when Tesco when invaded. invaded Denmark, yeah. <laughs> the war between Tesco and Denmark lasted two hours. Yeah, it's the same <laughs> same difference, yeah. I just, I just remember. Difference. And there we are, Sky TV still exists. They've just released their own version of a television, weirdly, just out of the blue. Yeah, have you seen that? Yes. Sky yeah. Glass. Yeah. yeah. That's oh, why they call me Mr. Glass. It's not going to last. <laughs> well, I find it a bit weird, though, because if you... I, I don't know the ins and outs of it. I haven't looked at this, but no. if if you buy that Sky Glass mm. and you then cancel your Sky subscription, does your telly stop working? Who knows? Who knows? 
I mean, could you plug a free view into it or whatever? Or you know, I don't know much about it. It looked like a big telly to me. It seemed like a, an amalgamation of things that needn't be amalgamated. Bit yeah, like when, uh, bit like, well. bit like you know, Amstrad went through a period of amalgamating all sorts of weird crap in the eighties. <laughs> no, well, that's Amstrad's all. Do you mean people, people don't need a sandwich toaster micro oven or uh, you know, uh, people don't want to write emails from their fridge. That's what I mean. Amstrad were famous for it, weren't they? They just got three or four technologies <laughs> and bolted them into one you know unit, wrapped it in yeah. some kind of you know malformed plastic, and there you go. There it is. It's the telecom radio watch torch <laughs> battery power. You know, got and it was just one thing after another. It's kind of did it with yep. when they took over Sinclair, didn't they? They immediately bolted and put it in an Amstrad box and bolted things to the side of it, like disk drives and tape. The cassette was moulded into the... They merged the Spectrum with a tape recorder. <laughs> Absolutely. Like Damn. some awful, awful 80s special effect. Ugh, horrible. It was terrible. They just couldn't help themselves, could they? It couldn't just be a thing. It had to be multiple things. Oh, always, yeah. Because his name was that one, Alan Michael Sugar Trading. So it was all, all the things moulded together. Yes, that was Amstrad. his MO. So he, just, he couldn't have one thing. It had to be four things. Why make we two things when we can that. make one that was his that was the just the top of line of <laughs> yeah. his every business plan absolutely yeah <laughs> he, he hated uh head not head and shoulders yeah he hated head and shoulders because that was taking one bottle into the shower rather than two well, exa- well he hated him when he went through a three-course meal they just put it all on one plate <laughs> so you got your starter your main and your dessert Poof, there it is hey that's how i like my food <laughs> this saves on washing you're up hi- it saves you're time you're hired <laughs> you put my dessert on the side you're fired oh damn it <laughs> <laughs> oh, what would Alvin Michael Sugar eat as well? It'd be really rubbish food, I bet, as well. Yes, I bet he just uh, eats bees. Bees, jelly deals, and... Other cotton co- co- um, recipes. <laughs> and pearly kings and queens. <laughs> <laughs> he gets everything from the Cockney cookbook. Way. <laughs> <laughs> How can you, how can you cock me up your toast? Put some pearly kings and queens on it. <laughs> toast up my brown. Toast up my brown. We're just losing all our cockney listeners right now. <laughs> well, yes, we have. We're sliding down a stereotypical avenue right now. I have to say. <laughs> yeah, well, we're. Stupid I like the idea of a cockney cookbook. To be fair, I suppose that's is Jamie Oliver Cockney. <laughs> he is. Yes. Better. What would be better would be a cannibal's cookbook. For that would be the Cockney. <laughs> nope. No, although Alan Sugar would like that because that's two things wrapped into one. Yeah. Uh, what's in that pie? It's just steak. You're fired. Steak and steak and ale, you're hired. You're hired. <laughs> steak, and a- steak and ale and cock and knee, you're really hired. Why is it all liquid? Because we've liquefied the pastry. I like the way you think. <laughs> I'll pour it in my glass so I can drink my pie. <laughs> we'll, we'll call it liquid pie. <laughs> Can you stick an emailer on the side of it? Yes, you're really hired. You're really hired. Wow, that's so fourth gen industry 4.0. Well done. <laughs> I'm Alan Michael Sugar, and I'll email from my fridge. Michael Low Sugar. <laughs> Michael. That's his brother, yeah. He's like Michael Low Sugar. Absolutely. He's just, yeah, he's just diabetic. a diabetic version, yeah. Low Sugar. Yeah. Hello, Sugar. Oh, dear. Right. Sugar free. <laughs> anyway. Sugar, fr- sugar free Amstrad. <laughs> What would that be? I don't know. Where don't are we know. going? Wait, I don't know what's happening. I don't know. We were talking about Sky and their new telly. We were. Well, because Amstrad later made the boxes for Sky. And oh, oh, that's it's, okay. That's they the, didn't. But the okay. link. There is a link. Right, off we go. Right, yeah, because on the 13th of December, comedian Dougie Small, he won New Faces of 86. All right. So new, nobody knows has remembered him. Never heard of him. Is he, did he have any famous uh, lines and jokes? And is he famous for like a catchphrase? I'm Dougie Small. <laughs> 
don't know. I've never heard of it. Tell you what, it must have taken him a while to think of that. <laughs> Hello, everyone. I'm Ducky Small. Oh, he's hilarious. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, That's all he said. On. He won new faces because he actually had a new face. His face was brand new. It was freshly freshly opened. So. It's freshly made by Amstrad. It was, yeah. It's an amalgamation um, of the front of his head and the back of his head. <laughs> and an email email where he is should be. <laughs> yes. And he, he had a Wi-Fi connector that we don't want to talk about where and the plug a, for that was. And a small, a small vidi printer where his other ear should be. And he could just like print out the football exactly. results. You could just push ticker tape up his nose and it could program his brain. <laughs> Absolutely, he ate punch cards and could read discs with his uh, with his lips. Just put them in like, yeah. mm, mm, there's good information on this disc. <laughs> That's how he won new faces, clearly, because <laughs> or with his compass finger, he could play records. <laughs> I was thinking like a compass where you would like navigate. No, no, no. A compass where you draw a circle. Oh, it just, it just, it just conjured up an idea of uh, Dougie Small as Rambo. And he just, all the gadgets were built into him. It's like, <laughs> go, go gadget Dougie. Yeah, he was just, he was his own, he was his own survival knife. He just, uh, he opened, you know, he could turn his toes over and then they, they had like instruments on the bottom for helping him survive. <laughs> Well, he's small, so, you know, you could take him with you. He'd be handy on any adventure. Yes, yes. Good old Dougie Small. Uh, an adventure like our next one, our next thing. <laughs> an adventure where British television premiered uh, Don Coscarelli's fantasy adventure, The Beastmaster. They did. On BBC One mm. on the 13th of December. Well, The Beastmaster's quite a film, isn't it? You made me watch that today. <laughs> I'm not sure I can forgive you for this. <laughs> it took. They took the time. It came out in 1982. I went to the cinema to no, see yeah, this. No, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, at the time, BBC took the time. This is 1986. It's taken four years. Oh, I thought you said I took my time. I thought you said I took my time in watching it. Oh, yeah, no, 34 no. years, 30, 40 years. I knew you'd watch it in the end because after I sent you those animated gifts of Dar waving his sword <laughs> around, I thought he's going to watch that because he's going to want to know more about those milky thighs of Dar. I remember those milky thighs of Dar from seeing the film. There's some really, really good stunt doubleage in that film, though. I have to say, the bit where he slides down the side of a mountain. <laughs> A side of a rock, and it's just clearly a fifty-year-old man. Yeah, I wouldn't say it was good <laughs> stunt doubles. I think <laughs> that's what I mean. That's the, the stunts kind themselves of stunt are good. <laughs> Not sliding down the side of a very small mound. No, it's it's an odd film, isn't it? Though Beastmaster, it, it is odd. It's an odd one for BBC because they must they probably put that on at what time? It must have been on at like tea time for kids. And there's some horrible stuff in that. <laughs> Yeah, I imagine if if they did, it would have been heavily censored. Must have been censored. It made me laugh as well. Those uh, <laughs> right at the very beginning, there's those um, shapely ladies, you know, those Macbethian oh. styled ladies, <laughs> no. with very little on around that pot, and yeah. then they turn round and they've got the worst masks, yes. special effect masks ever. Yeah, it's like um, it reminded me of that, a wrestler's mask. Yes, um, it was just the, the prosthetic effects were oh, it's not not great. not that but not that good. <laughs> no, and it, it's a mishmash, isn't it? That it's really weird. And then. And the uh, not at all like Conan village <laughs> destruction. Oh, God, no. with, <laughs> and it's like, well, how can we outdo Conan? Well, we can give our enemy bigger, bigger bat wings on his uh, helmet. We can give our enemy bigger bat, bat wings. wings on his helmet. Are massive. They are, and they can also, and he gets one chopped off as well. And we can also uh, give him a bigger nose. Because he has a massive nose. It's ripped on with an enormous nose. His nose is hooked. It's got it a hooked is. nose. Very strange. It's a very bad film. It's, it's not great. It's not. It's, it's really not. It's not great. And I like Don Coscarelli no. movies. Don, Co I, I, Don Coscarelli has a really unique take visually on things. If you don't believe me, go and watch Phantasm, which is a movie where he filmed every scene in a different location and bolted it together somehow. <laughs> <laughs> not every, not even every scene, every line every, of a conversation. Every at sentence times. of a conversation, it makes no sense in that dream logic world of his. It makes no sense, or as I like to call yeah. it, low budget world. It makes no sense, and mm -hmm. this is this is no escape from that. Interestingly, John Coscarelli was kicked out of the production 
before it went to the editing room. I don't know if you know that about this film, but he was. So he had no I, I he had no part in the editing, and the actual film itself was scheduled to be eighty minutes. Now this film's two hours long in its entirety. I know it is, and that's because the producers of the film said it wasn't long enough to the editor. So instead of replacing footage that they might have shot into the film, the editor just lengthened all the scenes by adding the extra time to them and by lengthening them. So the reason this film feels drawn out is because it actually was by the editor. So it's it shouldn't be two hours. <laughs> Some of those things, as you watch it, you think that seems to be going on for ages. That scene. And that's because it's too long and it deliberately. So that was that's a true fact, that is. That film was shot with a certain way of to look in mind. And then the editor was like, make this longer. It's too short. And he's like, okay, but there's only one way I can do that. I'm lengthening every shot. So he did. <laughs> so There's that weird bit at the beginning as well. Like, who carries around handy hook nooses just to hang just, <laughs> just to, to hang, hang yourself, yourself with why why did what what i didn't understand what power he was demonstrating at that point <laughs> you just reduced your body count in here you know your, your henchman count by two yeah <laughs> and and also as well who gets um dispossessed by a blue liquid while a baby is transferred to a cow oh, that that sequence was really weird it is isn't I, it i mean i don't it's mind just... saying that I, I, it's weird it's disturbing really in a way that's yeah i mean it's it's genuinely odd i was like it's quite it is quite horrific that sequence actually in a, in the context yeah. of this film it's that's what i mean there's certain parts of this film which stick out in your mind like the creatures that absorb people and there's just you know they're just like giant moth they're the things. only things i like they're the only things i like in this film are the sort of bat moth absorbathons yeah they i mean they, they, they makes me laugh that just handily enough they happen to pray to an eagle because that's handy that is because he, he could speak eagle full fluent in eagle which is very handy if you're gonna Absolutely. encounter body absorbing eagle worshippers which, of course, yep. he did. And then it's got Tanya Roberts in, of course. You know, and nothing wrong with Tanya Roberts, as we could see in this film. And that she's gratuit- a very, gr- very, she takes gratuitous a uh, introductory scene. It is gratuitous, isn't it? There's no reason for her to be topless apart from in that scene. Absolutely. And, and everyone remembers Beastmaster for that sequence because she's a very fine actress in it. <laughs> yeah. And she sadly has passed away, definitely has passed away. She passed away age 65, I believe. Oh, bless her. And... It is an interesting, just as a thing, she is also the Bond girl from... She is, yes. Your favourite James Bond movie, which is... Hey, don't lay don't lay that on me as well. It's also your favourite. <laughs> it's, um, it's, <laughs> it is the favourite of this podcast. I think if we if, if we had a word cloud of the amount of the, the words we've said the most, A View to a Kill or Roger Moore's Brown Coat Adventure would be massive on that word cloud because we've said it loads. It would. So it's, it's Roger Moore's A View to a Brown Coat. And Which is so what he needs for the winter so, with, again, his old, with his old bones. <laughs> with his, I mean, of course, she's another woman that suffered at his dusty old hands. So, <laughs> you know, we, we talked about it in the last episode <laughs> yep. um, about uh, Grace well, Jones and how, you know, she would, she'd been menaced by his Henry Hooper bag <laughs> testicles and and how ter- horrific that idea is. And I, I actually can't use a Henry Hoover now in, in case it does that horrible sound that you did. <laughs> <laughs> just unnerving, at least. Um, but now we've got another woman that's suffered. <laughs> we've got another one, poor woman that suffered at the hands. Of, well, let's say suffered. Yep. It, it was an actress, but we know. I mean, we don't speak too ill of James Bond, Roger Moore, of course. But in reality, he was a pensioner in this film, and that Bond, all the Bond girls must have been like, oh god, absolutely. When they walked up, Tanya, you got you got dust on your shoulders. You got dust <laughs> on your shoulders. You got, you got too much talc on you. I haven't put any talc on today. Give me another seven shots of tequila. I've got a scene coming up with Roger. <laughs> <laughs> Why, hello there, Tanya. Oh, another shot. Right, let's do this. <laughs> What's in? The, it's all powder in my mouth. <laughs> Where did that come from? 
<laughs> I'm sorry, I haven't emptied my bag in a while. <laughs> it's it's a bit clogged. <laughs> so gross. That is so gross. Oh dear, dear. Poor old Tanya Roberts. Anyway, she's in Beastmaster. Uh, you can call it Henry. <laughs> Henry? Henry? Where are you, Henry? <laughs> ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh Roger. <laughs> um terrible. anyway. Anywho, seriously. So, weird cloud. It would be the biggest words on it, it for would, our podcast. But do you know if you like your crazy rip off Conan fantasy done badly, go and watch the Beastmaster. Or don't. And you or save, don't. save yourself two do, hours save, of your life. Save yourself two hours. If you do want to watch it, by the way, it is all on YouTube for yes, free. It is. You know, we watch these films so you don't have to. <laughs> yeah, the whole film's there. It <laughs> is. 17th of December, anyway, Ringo Starr narrates his last ever Thomas the Tank Engine and Friends, the second series finale, Thomas and the Missing Christmas Tree. Yeah, his last words were, Happy Christmas, everyone. That's true. <laughs> I actually checked it out to find that out. <laughs> okay, what's this note here? Because I've, I've added a bit to uh, the end of that. It's different from when in 2008 he told all his fans to stop writing to him. <laughs> yeah, he went, he went on on like YouTube or the equivalent was, his website, whatever it was, and just, and just a piece to, piece to camera just to said, stop writing to me, I'm not replying anymore. <laughs> so honest to God, you can go on YouTube and find it. This is the video going, I am Ringo Starr. I'm just telling you, if you write to me after this specific date, I forget what the date was, October the 9th, I will not be replying ever again. So don't write to me. I don't want to hear from you. Thanks a lot. Bye now. Honest to God, everyone way, was like, okay. And by the way, my favourite food is chips. <laughs> I think he must have got, because in Simpsons, they take the mickey out of him for, I always reply to my fans. And I'm wondering whether there was yep. some kind of backlash and maybe, you know, he got inundated. But anyway, his favourite food might be chips, but don't write to him about it because he ain't going to reply, I'm telling you now. Quite, well, it's quite no. an abrupt video. Well, you know, it's an angry man. Um, 25th of December. I, I don't know. He might be. He might be very nice. I wonder nice. if there's a version uh, of The 20... Ring with him in it, The Ringo. <laughs> when you put the video on, it's him just going, oh, and he's trying to climb out a well really badly. Ah, me foot stuck. Have you got a ladder? <laughs> Where's me chips? <laughs> <laughs> Christmas Day. What happened on Christmas Day? Well, thirty million of us half watched the, country. the two episodes. Yeah, more than half the country at that point. I think we had a population of fifty odd million at that point. Uh, watched the two episodes of EastEnders, in which Den Watts served his wife Angie divorce papers. Chirpy. There you go. And happy in further, Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm not saying anything. We've talked about EastEnders. Again, in Word Cloud, EastEnders would feature way too much. It would. That and Doctor Who. <laughs> uh, also on that day, speaking again of old of old James Bonds, ITV screens the British terrestrial television premiere of Never Say Never Again. Yeah. Literally a bad Bond the film. worst Bond movie, I think, of them all, because it's not really yeah. a Bond movie properly, is it, that one? No, it wasn't. It was made outside of the uh, Cubby Broccoli. Yes, featuring... Um, Rowan Atkinson. Rowan Atkinson and Sean Connery is in that, I think. Sean Connery, yeah, yeah, Rowan Atkinson. And it's got that really, really... Sh it's, it's okay, but over-the-top 3, 3D video game yeah. fight thing in, in the middle. Yeah. Playing for the concept of the world, like, you know, it talks like a robot. And also it was written by the same people that wrote Porridge, the TV show Porridge. Well, explains a lot. Uh, 26th of December. <laughs> Great. The Rainbow 30-minute Christmas special, Rainbow Christmas Show, also known as The Colours of the Rainbow, <laughs> is the highest ever rated episode of the show. And it was thought that Rainbow would end following this episode. But Thames Television renewed the contract after good ratings. That's me. And for those that aren't yeah. aware of what Rainbow is... It's a children's show featuring a talking cushion, a giant talking pink hippopotamus, a walking pyjama wearing bear, and three entertainers, wandering minstrels, one might say, called Rod, Jane and Freddie, and your host, the guy Jeffrey. that hosted it, Jeffrey. 
yeah, him. Okay. Yeah, the host guy. The host Jeffrey. guy. Hey, host guy. I wondered why you'd Jeffrey. left him out and not said him first. Couldn't remember clearly, his name. you had forgotten all about Jeffrey. Poor Jeffrey. So, yes, too overwhelmed. Uh, Jeffrey, Bungle, Zippy, and George. Yeah. Um, Zippy is like a, a cushion. We've dis- we discussed this before, yes, we have. isn't he? He's, He's a, a freaky, cushion, yeah. freaky cushion. Yep. And we're talking. <laughs> he, he did that, yeah. He did talk a bit like that. Like that. <laughs> yes, and I've used up Bloody Rainbow, and I've noted, is this the follow up to Bloody Birthday? <laughs> Rainbow, of all things. We'd never imagine it'd be so popular at Christmas, a children's entertainment show. <laughs> well, want a lot for us to be entertained <laughs> by. Love the fact that Times Television went, Rainbow's popular? Renew it immediately. <laughs> <laughs> I love to see that conversation. <laughs> yeah. It got how many ratings? <laughs> yeah. You were going to cancel this? I love that show. How did our shows do over the Christmas period? Well, turns out <laughs> the, uh, the Christmas special for Valdunican, not so good, but the Rainbow. Brilliant. Renew. <laughs> Kids can't get enough of that cushion. That talking cushion was very popular. Yeah. Don't know why. Anyway, 31st of December, last day of the year. New Year's Eve highlights on BBC One include the British television premiere of the 1984 Australian animated film, The Camel Boy. <laughs> Killer. And Day After the Fear, a screenplay starring Hannah Gordon. I'd rather watch the film than the screenplay, but hey-ho. <laughs> Kenneth Haig, Anna Massey and Martin Stanbridge. <sighs> Terry Wogan welcomes in the new year from the BBC Television Theatre. Yeah, happy, cra- and happy crappy new year. Yeah, that is crappy fodder, isn't it? What the hell is a, the camel boy? And a lot of people were in at this time as well, because this is, predates any of the big firework displays that you'd get in London and all those places. They didn't do it then. Cause, yeah, because you know, we, be we, did, <laughs> yeah, we didn't have, we didn't have fireworks then. <laughs> we just had riots. Yeah. You were, well, you were only allowed fireworks on November the 5th. Any other time of year, you weren't allowed to set fire. Now you can set fireworks off whenever you like. But but then yeah. it was like November the 5th, oh, that's it. And if you try and buy fireworks any other time, you're done. You're not having them. Because <laughs> you couldn't. You couldn't get hold of them. No, there's no. no I always just, yeah, I always but... just think, how, how, how does Standard, as the firework company, make money? Because they're only allowed to sell fireworks for two weeks of every year. The business model must be shit. What are we doing about the rest of this period? We're not selling any fireworks. Oh, we're not allowed. Why are we making them then? It's like um, it's like uh, Bobby Pumpkin. <laughs> Bobby yeah, you know, Pumpkin. He's only, he's only good for one one part of the year. No one knows well, yeah. why he's only popular for October. Well, I came to the conclusion that the, only, the other thing that Standard made were toilets, because that's when you see Standard and Ideal toilets. So they must be, for two weeks of the year, the factories are converted to firework factories. The rest of the time, it's toilets all the way, because we can Absolutely. sell toilets any time of year. And, and, and <laughs> don't confuse fireworks with their B-Day line. That would be oh, really bad. Sake. No, you will have a bad day. Absolutely, you you don't want one of that. You don't want a Catherine wheel up your wazoo. No, you don't. No, it ain't going to cleanse you. It ain't. <laughs> no, it's not. You, got, you don't want a sparkler there. No. There you go. That's your TV. What do we get in films? There's loads of films. Mm. Like that's cut a lot for December. Anyway, the first fifth of December is the Transformers the movie. There's too many there's there. That's silly. It should be just the Transformers movie. It should not just the Transformers the movie. The there have been involved in there. Get the there in there. <laughs> I think yeah? so. Yeah. Are you? I've never been a massive. Tra- I'm not. I'm not a massive Transformers fan. No. I've never have been. No. I think I should have been because it's you know transforming robots and stuff. But I think I was just really at the wrong cusp of age to be into it. I think if it's if the Transformers had been when I was about ten or eleven, I'd have been well into it, but they weren't. So true. Yeah. Um, but and yeah, and this featured the voice of Orson Welles and Leonard Nimoy. Yeah. He Leonard Nimoy was also in the second Transformers Michael Bay film, wasn't he? He is. Yeah. He, he was the voice, that old was the one, voice of the yeah the old one. Yeah. Uh, Short Circuit was uh, also on the fifth of December. Number five is alive. Number five. It's alive. I watched the trailer for that today because I haven't watched it, but I kind of quick watched the trailer. I forgot that Ali Sheedy was in it, and I also mm. forgot it was directed by John Badham. Yes, it is, yeah. 
Mr. Badden? Of um, War Games. War Games and Nikita did he do as well, John Badden? Uh, possibly. Like that. But certainly, certainly War Games, I remember. And I also completely forgot that Steve Gutenberg's a star in it. Oh, God, he is, yeah. I, I, I was actually, one of the things I was meaning to watch for this podcast, and then I realised I hated it, and so I didn't. But, but um, see, it's just, it's a, it's a version of, it's just a robotic version of E.T. Yeah, yeah, it is, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is. You know, malfunction, need input. He made for good house tracks, because a lot of house tracks sampled that. Malfunction, need input. <laughs> yeah, I could see that, yeah. Damn. Yeah, but it was, you know, short like it was a, it was a, one of those faddy films, wasn't yeah. it? And the robot did look like the, the robot time. in Nomad. So. Yeah, I wondered why you'd written Nomad here, but yes, now, yes, yeah, because the poster, the title screen, the loading screen, you yeah. are right, it looks like a, a much more violent version of um, yeah. number five. Yeah, he does, yeah, because he's, uh, he does, he harm anybody, uh, does he, number five, until they make him into a killer version, but before that, he's, he's nice. Yeah, absolutely, you know, he lets butterflies land on him. Yeah. Nobody who lets butterflies land on him can be evil. <laughs> yeah. 12th of December is Howard the Duck. It is. Is there some really good early composing effects yeah, in that yeah, film? Yeah, yeah, there's some amazing effects in Howard the Duck, the compositing of some of the shots and the effects, especially towards the end when the giant monster thing appears, the actual, think of the, because obviously that's a, it's done in that old-fashioned sort of ILM way, so it's a giant monster as in an animated monster, a bit like they did the, the uh, monsters in the Return of the Jedi. So it's a stop motion mixed with live action in a, and it's actually really, really, really well done. So it looks great, the lighting's really good in it. Terrible, terrible film in every other respect though. Awful. What would you expect? It's yeah. George Lucas. So. Yeah, yeah. This was his supposedly great return to form. It was a return to something, all right? Yes, yes. Not sure what. Well, um, it isn't very good is what it's not, and it bombed at the box office well, spectacularly, in fact. Well, I mean, over here, it was no surprise because it was up against the runaway, you know, underdog of the year, wasn't it? Which was yeah. Crocodile Dundee on the same yep. day. And, and the thing is that Crocodile Dundee has going for it is that it's actually a really good film. Yeah, and it isn't about an unlikable duck. No, it's about a likeable Aussie, you know. Yes, it is. I mean, goodness me, did Paul Hogan go viral potentially after that or what in the UK? My God, he was pretty <laughs> yeah. much on every I had, channel. I had, I had a proper dose of the Hogan, so yeah, he really did. It, well, everyone went, everyone, <laughs> it went mad. The world went Paul Hogan mad. I mean, he, he had even had a, his own weird ITV show, late night, yeah. of, but it was an Australian yeah, was, show that yes. reported over, wasn't it? But I can't remember what it was called now, but it was really, I remember the music, da, 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 and he was on a skateboard at the beginning and all that. Yeah, yeah, it was just like a sketch show, wasn't it? Yeah, totally, yeah. Was it a sketch yeah, show? Proper Aussie sketch show with Aussie humour and Aussie jokes, which nobody really got, so you watch it going, <laughs> it's hilarious, I don't know, what he's, what, what's funny, I don't know, but it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, I know we have a lot of Australian listeners, so I don't know what the, uh, you know, was... Paul Hogan was he was he really massive? I, I think he, he was. Like, he must have been almost like Saint been, Paul over in Australia. I yeah, think, so, and he is a funny but, guy. And, and this was obviously our first experience of, of Mr. Hogan, but, but Crocodile Dundee is a cracking film, and also yes, um, as cheesy as, as that film is quite cheesy. It's quite a simple film, obviously. It's just a yeah. love story when it's it comes down water, to yeah. it. But that that but that end sequence in the underground station, yeah, with with that music gets me every time. Yeah, every time it's just a p- perfect end to a film, and I'm like, oh damn you, because I don't really like those kind of schmaltzy stuff. But that one, there's something about that one that just it just gets me every time. So yeah, uh, it, it's there's some it's just nice, a really, some, really good feel good film. It is a feel good film. Some really good. It's much better than the Crocodile Dundee two, which was you know the kind of opposite, wasn't it? So they took Linda Kozlowski, wasn't it, and took her yeah. to the outback. And but I quite well, I do like the ending to that as well. Yeah, they're, they're good films in their own right. It's just the second one's not as good as this one. This one was huge in the UK. It was massive hit. Huge, huge. Was it, huge wasn't hit. there a third one? Possibly. I don't remember a third one. I d- there might be one. It doesn't mean there isn't one. I just don't remember. It. I knew. I remember the first two and then I remember Almost an Angel was it that he was in or something like that where 
Yes. Where he that's, that's, that actually is a very very good film. It's a bit. It's one of the underrated Paul Hogan movies. But he plays like a maybe is an angel, maybe isn't in the film. It's it's actually it's really quite a good film. That though. let me have a look. See if there is a crocodile Dundee. What well, well, interestingly, I don't know if there's a crocodile Dundee game. I don't think there is, but it wouldn't surprise me. But Ocean probably made it. Uh, It'll be involved driving across the is, desert. Well, there is a crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles. Oh God! It was made in two thousand and one. Oh dear. Has it got Paul Hogan in? It's mm. Paul Hogan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, I think it must have been a big flop at that point. I think it. Yeah, just because all the jokes wouldn't work with the fact that he was, you know, the Aussie sort of walkabout guy, wasn't he? Famously lived in was it Walkabout Creek? He came from or something like that, or something, something like that. Something yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah. And, but he was actually a con yeah. man, wasn't he? That was the that was the really funny, clever thing about Crocodile Dundee is that all of yes, these famous yeah. bushcraft things was actually a complete lie, wasn't? Oh, he just yes. Or was he kind of? He weren't sure, but he was actually. It was all fake believe, wasn't it? And when he was convincing yeah, her of his he, he does the he does the shaving, doesn't he? The yeah. shaving at the end you know, with a razor, and then she comes along. She picks up the knife quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's it's, all. It's that just, kind of thing. It, yeah, it's just a good light-hearted film. You know, it's got the classic that ain't a knife. Yeah, you know, which would obviously lead to knifey spoony. Yeah, um, <laughs> and obviously the the Simpsons episode just yeah. where they go to Australia. But hey ho, yes, we like I like crocodile. It's good. I don't. I'm not even going to mention the next one. There's some. It's some Billy Bragg Lloyd. Cole combo yes. <laughs> called Turn It Up Days Like These. So enough said about that. No. 19th of December, though, was uh, Explorers, mm. Joe Dante film with Ethan Hawke and uh, uh, River Phoenix. I was never struck on Explorers. Never thought it was that good. No, well, I was... I. I kind of again. I had a quick look at the trailer today, and and I've never liked it. But I was uh, um, just as you do when you go onto YouTube. There's obviously something throws up, and there was an interview with Ethan Hawke talking about it, um, and how he sort of was expecting it to be. He was expected to be this big thing, and it flopped massively. Mm. And he was like, he said he learned a lot from it, so because the fact it did flop, and he's like, well, if I can come back from that, and and come back from anything. But he, he got he got loads of ribbon at school because he was in that film, <laughs> um, and things like that. So it wasn't his big break, and uh, oh, but yeah. It's not a particularly great film. It's certainly... But it's different to our last one of the month. Right. Which is uh, Eddie Murphy's The Golden Child. Mm, difficult film to like or dislike, isn't it, The Golden Child? Because it suffers if from being If you go back to it now, it's, it, it's not that great. No. It's it, very no. high concept. Yeah. It's when I think he was becoming a bit full of himself. Well, yeah. I think he was, at this point, superstar, wasn't he? And, and Beverly Hills and Cop completely and, into yeah. that. Yeah. And, but, but, well, yeah, because Beverly Hills Cop is great. Trading Places, because he's Dan Aykroyd and the, yeah. the whole thing around that, great. And then just went off on his own. And I think this was, was this after Trading Places? Was this the one after Trading this Places? This is after, after Trading obviously... Places, yeah. Yeah, then he does Golden Child and it's like, mm, sort of weird, sort of, it's a weird, strange mm, it's odd film, fantasy. Golden Child. It's a, yeah, yeah, it's, it's all, yeah. I, I'm, yeah, <laughs> I, do, I remember going to it. the cinema to see it and going, oh, that was weird, even at the time. Thinking yeah, that was. I, I only remember the uh, dancing Pepsi can. Yeah, which is quite a nice vaguely effect. remember that, and I just remember it being a bit of a mishmash of ideas that never. You know, I was expecting it. I think people expecting it to be funnier than it was because it's barely Eddie Murphy and he built his entire early career on comedy. He was a stand-up comedian. Yeah. He did Delirious and a couple of other stand-up shows that were very popular. Then went on to do things like Trading Places and a number of Beverly Hills Cop, and sort of we came over, came across as that kind of thing. And everyone was expecting, I think, Golden Child to be like that. And in actuality, it's not very funny, and but neither is it very good. So just a miss. No, and I think it, it's, it, when I actually think about it, it's kind of a bit of a rip-off of uh, Last Crusade. Yeah. 
similar. You know, because he's got that three test, and he have to do like a test at the end, and he's got to walk across the pit and yep. get the. And there's yep. just it's just some some. It feels like they try to sort of riff on the Indiana mm. Jones thing. Which... Yeah, well, it's when high concept mm. movies start to go wrong in the mid to late eighties. Because a number of them, it starts to sort of go badly wrong for a number of films that you would expect to be huge. Weren't Hudson Hawk's another example of that? Where on paper, yeah, yeah, yeah. It all, on paper, it's all you know. And, and I think it goes back to the, your brilliant formula of you know just getting the component parts together and putting it together doesn't make it great. And, and it started to happen in films as well. So yes, yeah, Rambo three. <laughs> yes, that went badly wrong. <laughs> oh Very badly wrong. Mm. Raw deal. Yeah. Well, it just it gets worse yeah. and worse, doesn't it, as it goes on, and there's some real doozies. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So there you go. That's your uh, film and TV for the Christmas period. So you could uh, watch Doctor Who strangling someone. You could uh, finally get a satellite box. You could enjoy the pleasures of Dougie Small or, or Beastmaster. Ringo Starr ain't going to write to you. The pleasure of Roger Moore or whoever. No, Sean Connery and uh, whatever. Rainbow's back. Um, and there's loads of films as well. And our pick of those films is probably Crocodile Dundee. Yeah, I would definitely. say definitely, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So there you go. That's your uh, film and TV for December 1986. That rounds out the year. We'll be back with our last selection of games for the year. Wow, mm, 1986 is done. Woo. Done soon. So uh, we'll be back after this short message. See you in a bit. <laughs> Shout out to our sponsor, davidhernwriter.com, where you'll find bargain books, ebooks, and audiobooks. Coming soon, Dave's next book, Escape from the Commodore 64, will take you back to the 80s, where movies like Aliens, Predator, Total Recall, Rocky 3, and The Empire Strikes Back ruled. That's the main reason why Sarah has to escape the 64. Imagine missing out on all those cool 80s films. Unthinkable. Dave's podcast pick is The Sentinel. Slow and plodding. A bit like Dave these days, but super clever. Welcome back to the final section of 1986. This is it. This is the this is all they wrote. There was no more games. This is it. So our first one, let's plow through these. Let's get through them because we are Ace of Aces. That's what we are. I don't know what game we're looking at. (laughs) No, we are Ace of Aces. Graham, tell us about Ace of Aces. Ace of Aces is an emotive game, actually. I bought this back in the day. And it is essentially you are, it's a combination of flight sim, a bombing game, a flight simulator with sort of arcade arcade playable overtones and different views. In fact, it's actually quite a game, a game that's quite advanced for its time in some ways. So it's almost, I'd say, first-person perspective in, in a way, but um, not in the kind yeah, just of... just in the plane, aren't you? Yeah, in the plane, but you can sort of look around your cockpit and have different views. You can control yeah, different aspects can, of the yeah. plane. So it's it's part flight... You're flying in a British RAF Mosquito bomber, and you've got several missions that you can do, which are generally bombing things or bombing enemy trains, submarines trying to shoot v1 rockets bombs at the sky or airplanes and sink german u-boats and and so you get a range of missions to do that all the while during those phases you're being attacked so the game is actually quite a clever game in the way it evokes mood and feeling around things so you start off the game by choosing your whether you're going to practice or whether you're going to do missions you can then select from a range of missions you can complete the missions either as all of them in one go you can just choose them all and do that or you can just pick out individual ones and go for the missions and then as the, then the game takes you through kind of a, a really nice sort of sequence where you sort of see some almost photographs as the game sort of like a little intro sequence 
where you sort of see these black and white photographs of an airplane and then you get the sound effects of an airplane taking off and then you sort of see some. It's just quite emotive. It captures a nice emotive feel. Then when the yeah. game starts and, you know, I think the loading on this is pretty fast. So there's a loader in the background on the disc version anywhere that I was playing. It was pretty fast. So it loads you up into like a cockpit view and... Once, uh, sorry, prior to sorry, prior to the cockpit view, um, you're taken to a part where you load up your aeroplane with the weapon types, and you've actually you can choose bombs, missiles, machine guns, and you load up your plane and fuel. And you've got to think carefully about the mission, mission or missions that you're doing, and what you may need to complete those missions because you don't have an infinite supply of things. In fact, you have a finite supply. And the more weight you give to your plane, the more your fuel is going to get used up. So there's a little bit of strategic thinking required. You can't just load the plane up with all of the various things and expect to just fly and do it because your plane's heavier, which means it's slower to move. And those things are considerations in this game, which is a nice touch. So once you've done that and you've selected the you know the weapons, the bombs, and you've loaded up um, the airplane, and you get a, quite a nice way of doing that, like a view of the underneath of the plane, and you can pick the bombs. A bit like, it reminded me of the sort of way you loaded up the car with things in Ghostbusters a little bit, but ni- but nicer graphics and so a view of the airplane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you get uh-huh. your ordinance, load all that on, and then, then you get the sequence where you get the, you know, the intro sequence to the missions, if you like. And then you're up in the air. You can control your different views. So once you've equipped all that, you're going, you're up in the air. So you can double tap your fire button to change your views, or you can use the number keys on the keyboard. So one or up is your pilot view. Two or left is your port view. Three or right is your starboard view. Four or down is your navigator view. And if you're in the center and you press the button, you get your bomb bay on number five. And all of these things have different controls on them as well. So you can control, so um, your pilot view, for example, has got your compass, your airspeed, your altimeter, 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 that's it. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. And so you can change the parameters of those on that screen. Then you would flick to another screen. And so as long as the sort of the dark line on your compass, you're aiming towards your target. You can then go to one of the other screens where you've got an, int- an intercom which t- and a little flashing indicator displays the damage and the things that you might need to be drawing attention to. Your radar, which is on the right, contains your sort of altitude and your distance from your targets and things like that. And so as you flick through the different screens, they each have sort of different controller aspects, including obviously when you go to the bomb bay, your way. So your navigator view has got your map, your bomb bay's got your view of the bomb bay doors. When you get to the target, if that's the mission chosen, you open the bomb bay doors and you, you get like a target reticule, you've got to drop bombs down. At the same time, you might, if you're in the air, you might be getting, eventually get attacked by airplanes and stuff. So you've then got to switch to that view, you get your target and you've got to shoot them. You get the idea. So you're controlling this airplane as one person, controlling the sort of multiple roles inside the plane. All the time you get taking damage, so you've got to be wary of that. You can, if you get on fire, you can put fires out. You get these beautiful views when you look out of your sort of uh, your windows, if you like, to your left and right. You get the view of the wings, and you get this quite nice graphic effect of the clouds and the wings and the propellers and, and all that. So there's some really nice graphic touches to this game. It's, it's good. And so that's generally the kind of the game. The premise is you've got to survive the missions and do the missions and do all of that. Now, the graphics in this game, I thought, I thought were actually really, really good. Again, emotive, and it captures the mood of the kind of wartime thing that you're doing. The games themselves, the mini games, really is what they are when they get down to the bombing they're kind of similar but they're quite nice in this in the way you've got to be you know you're sort of guiding your crossover things and you've got to time your bombs to sort of land on the objects and stuff like that while you're taking hits and being shot at and all that kind of thing obviously the indicators on your display start to go off if you've taken too many hits you can have an engine on fire or something which you need to put out you can fly on one engine but it's not as you know and there's loads of really good stuff in this to think about so it's worth sticking with it because it's I think it's an interesting mix of kind of flight simulatory arcadey kind of it's got a good blend it's an interesting blend different to what we've come across before I think really um so it's I put it, it's like a flying sim version of beachhead in a weird way and so I, mean, I thought the dog fights in the skies are quite nicely done when you get to them if you do those if you the bomb train runs are cool if maybe a little bit easy but what isn't easy because you, when you're bombing things you're thinking right I'm just me bombing stuff but remember your plane still needs to be controlled 
So you still got to keep it level. You still got to, you know, keep an eye out on yeah. everything because if you don't, you're going to crash into the ground. Or so you've got to be, you know, re- you've got to be reticent of the things around you in the plane. You can't just do one thing in this. You've got to be a bit of a, you know, controller of, and have your mind on all the different aspects and views. Which is why it's handy to have your hand on the keyboard when you're playing to flip between the views and control things as you do. So I quite, I liked, I liked um, Ace of Aces back in the day. I liked it now. I thought it was a really, really interesting take. The first one of these games that I think really captures both the mood and the gameplay that made it interesting and fun. I don't think longevity-wise, I don't know how much super replay you're going to get out of this because the every single level is kind of the same looking kind of thing. So even if you come back to this a month later and decide you're going to go on a bombing run, it's going to look like the bombing run that you did a month before. It's not, it's no, doesn't change a lot in the game. So it is no, kind no, of, no, it's no, in yeah. that kind of game world. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's good. It's a good game, Ace of Aces, and it's enjoyable. It's certainly graphically very interesting. And there's a nice looking feel to it. And I quite like that. Sound effects are all perfectly acceptable for this kind of game, including the sort of, air raid siren sounds and the sort of you know the stirring british music that comes on when you first load it up with the you know and all of that kind of stuff you know and it's it's a good little game this it's certainly better i enjoyed this more than i enjoyed when we played dam busters which is the only other game i can think of that's similar in a way so i would think this is a much better version of that and i enjoyed it but what about you yeah i'm pretty much the same i've got another world war ii flight fight sim um, sees you flying the mosquito around Europe and playing up merry hell with the Nazis' plans for world domination. Mm. So you have to con- you have to control all aspects of the plane, as you've noted, through screens showing the cockpit, the wings, the bomb bay doors, and and like a map of Europe. So there's stuff you got to do, and you've got to balance all this and be a jack of all trades from all different views. I like the fact you can practice the missions as well before you go into them fully. That's quite a nice touch. Presentation wise, this is really nice. I like the way that the missions are, are selected. You've got the the little guy pointing at the board, mm. the sort of wing commander the guy you know he's nice visuals there's a really nice visual touches throughout this game there is and like you i really like the uh the sort of postcard imagery yeah of the takeoff clever. and and what i i also liked about that is that takeoff and landing in these games is boring yeah it is all too all too often leads to death just get rid of it look i'm a i'm an experienced pilot you you understand i'm an experienced pilot or you wouldn't have me in the plane if i'm an experienced pilot and i just crash it because i can't take off i'm not an ex- just that's just stupid by aligning that just put me in the air because you know i can do you know i'll crash into the ground at my own time thank you very much <laughs> um and i often did but you know you Same. get those warnings and stuff that i like you i thought some nice graphical touches throughout the actual interior of the plane is really nicely realized mm quite clear what everything is like you i love the parallax cloud effects looking left and right really clever. and also also even going forward as well because i also yeah. like the way that enemy fighters would disappear into the clouds yes. and kind of yes ducking and out of view and you had to sort of kind of trail them a bit yeah the everything about this was really nice I, um yeah it's, and, I, and i've even put it certainly better than damn damn busters as an attempt at a world war ii sim shoot i would put it i don't know i mean i, I do like it I, I think it's a really good thing more up my street is desert fox Yes, yes, and that's a similar kind of idea in a different sort of vehicle, but yeah, very similar. So idea. yeah, so so that kind of thing, and I think I enjoyed Desert Fox more because I think I just en- probably just enjoy the the fact of ro- rolling around the tank more, and I think the the various things you were doing in Desert Fox have offered more variety. Yeah, I agree with that. Where, whereas this is just shooting out the front and dropping bombs out. Yes. It's a bit, you know, and or picking what you're going to fire out the front. So you know, there's not a lot. You, you know, you can't do trench well i suppose you could do trench runs in this but you're not gonna you're a bomber and so but what it does do is really good and and, and way better than dambusters and from a graphical point of view this is certainly up there with what i thought with desert fox which i also thought was graphically mm. very nice we're getting some nice sort of consideration of the sort of multi uh, what i don't want to call it it's not a multi-event but multi sort of um aspect world war ii things that are starting to take shape and actually sort of coalesce into these enjoyable attempts at them and show that the machine is quite capable of doing these things we've got these so many god 
god awful flight sims. Yeah, you know things like Wing Wing Commander and mm. um, and uh, you know there's, there's been too many of them. So when we get something like this, it's it's a nice nice change of pace. And the, there's obviously you know this, there's been thought from beginning to end from from the moment you get playing it. it I, I think you're right in to say it's it's quite emotive. It's it's very atmospheric. It it, it creates the mood it wants to create. And so I personally. Like probably with Desert Fox, which I also think, I don't know if it was a Sizzler, but I think it should have been. I would have thought this would have been a little bit higher, maybe a Sizzler. Mm, I, would um, I would put it up in the 90%, uh, uh, sort yeah. of just just, br- just just bridging into it. I think you're right with the longevity. The, the longevity might be, but, you know, I, I think there's enough game here to justify um, a, a slightly higher. 88% is, you know, a, split, a splitting hairs of 2% or so, but I think this is a, this is a good game and, and, and worth going back to and playing because it's just a, an, an enjoyable v- version of this and it's the, certainly the, the best World War II flight sim, flight fight sim we've seen yes, so far. I can't absolutely. think of anything else and no. it's way better than Dam Busters. Way, way, way better than Dam Busters. Which was, which was just black and yellow dots. Yep. Which I guess that's what would have been seen at the cockpit of Dam Busters, but boring. This is not boring. I enjoyed this. It's good. Yeah, good fun. Anything else? No, we no, no. I think... No? Um, yeah. I think I think one final thing I would say is that you do actually strive to become the ace of aces in this. So when you do finish the missions, you're given like a... a, a yeah. So it, it does lead somewhere is what I'm saying. So the idea of the game is to become the ace of aces. That's the, that's the plan. So. Yeah, abso- absolutely. And I think that's, you know, that that probably aids the longevity. Yeah. And um, I died in many various ways. Oh, Things totally. blowing up. Uh, was, Mostly I, stupidity I, I, on my part. <laughs> yeah, true. Chasing ignoring never ignore a, uh, a warning klaxon no firing to, <laughs> if, I'm, if i'm flying aiming towards the ground you're probably going to hit it at some point is that i thought so. yeah absolutely and a warning a warning klaxon going off is going off for a reason yes you know pay heed to it yes and don't don't you know heat your engines up to like sun <laughs> sun levels of heat because no. they'll catch on fire they will set on fire yeah <laughs> and they did on many many occasions <laughs> it's good, good graphics when it does that it is yeah it's, it's loads yeah very 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 nice visuals so yeah ace of aces that's good and i am going to say it right now it's bloody well better than the next one yes yes this won't take uh, long so let's let's move on <laughs> to that because yes our next one is uh red max so you may think oh we're in planes again no we're actually on a motorbike this is 199 this is the um let's say let's call it the pseudo sequel to the last v8 mm. you know because it's it's basically it's the last v8 in all but name of when you're in a bike this time because you remember last v8 yeah that's sh- you know that ridiculously stupidly hard top-down car one with yeah. a great soundtrack well here it is again but in bike form you know it's back in pog form <laughs> it's not quite as annoying and as stupid but it's just equally as dull which is a problem mm. however however this has to win the award for the most stupid plot overplot mm. for a video game i've read oh, in, yeah. in some time so <laughs> so buckle in listeners <laughs> because after a nuclear holocaust <laughs> right you think that's enough <laughs> we haven't got started mankind starts to rebuild and we kind of come back out of the hot the rubble and we get back up good job we've got our bike but it's not an ordinary bike because what we do is we we find out as we come out of the rubble we find out that the sun is about to go supernova and kill everybody but luckily a scientist works out that if they build a shielded dome on the dark side of the moon this can be activated with all the you know when everyone gets into it we can activate this just as the sun goes boom and it will thus blast the moon into space <laughs> This is stupid. However, yeah. All right. So, and then of course, what will happen then? Where all the people can go into hyperspace while the moon floats through empty space until we can just find a, another sun to park ourselves around, <laughs> and everything will be all right. So that's the plan. So they go, yeah, okay, that's great. So they're working on this plan. They're getting everything that happens, and everything's going well until aliens turn up. <laughs> 
and bomb everything. They drop a load of fission mines on the moon and sabotage the power plants, you know, because as aliens do. So if nuclear war, sun going supernova, it's just ridiculous. All for the all for the notion of riding a bike around a very small area picking up mines. Mm. I think mm. more thought went into the story than into this game. God, yeah. Because I've put here sort of thing. So the sabotage part, at this point, I put just face up to the fact that the universe wants the human race dead. <laughs> no you motorbike know. crazy is going to help you with that. No. Right? And also as well, it is lucky that it's not just any any normal motorbike. This is a moon bike. Handy, that. <laughs> handy very handy that we kept one of them after the nuclear holocaust <laughs> that'd be really what have you got there you got tins of beans i've got my moon bike I've got there's a no moon room bike. for that never room for that. oh wait a minute we might need one of them better bring it along yeah <laughs> so the point of this is it's a top-down drive around thing like looking like the last v8 you hoover up mines you just drive over them you've got to hit switches to turn off laser fences and that's it really you just go around you've got to go down four levels and it's boring mm. it's more freeform than the last v8 but it's just a stupid plot and the visuals are all right like they were in the last v8 the sound's okay but it's not as good nowhere near as good a tune as the last v8 no nope. it's fiddly it's annoying it's boring and it also once again has a huge massive glitch on the graphics it does which is really off-putting considering yeah. it's not scrolling around much of the screen just nope. like last v8 did don't play this. It's 36% and it deserves... Don't don't think it deserves... It's dull. It's dull, boring, stupid, plotted nonsense. So avoid. What about you? Did you like it? No, 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 no. I didn't like Last V8, so I'm not going to like the last Kawasaki or whatever the bloody nonsense this is. <laughs> no, but, but what a surprise. It's a ridiculously difficult game when I've got to save the world by driving an uncontrollable motorbike around an unforgiving map. Annoying is the word for that. Graphics are okay. Look like an yeah. overhead view of a motorbike driving around a map in really difficult situa- situation circumstances. Horrible glitchy scrolling, which put me off. Tiny game window as well. Tiny game window, which is really yep. the same size as... No, it's all dashboard and tiny screen, these games, aren't they? No fun, yeah. too hard, avoid. And that was my take on it. Didn't like it. Graphics yep. looked all right, I suppose, but sound was okay. But no, just no fun. It's too hard. Boring. Boring game. Just I don't like driving uncontrollable vehicles around. Things, maps where I'm running into things every two seconds. It's just, there was more freedom in um, Crazy Colin and the action bike thing that we had. So it was more, there was more freedom to do stuff Absolutely. in that. So, and that's, if I'm going to do that, I'm going to do it where I'm not going to die every 36 seconds. So, or less yes. actually, th- 3.6 seconds rather. Or even less yeah, than that, 0.36 yeah. seconds in this instance. <laughs> You just die. Yeah, just well, in, like yeah, I repeatedly. said, like I said, the universe wants the human race dead. Well, they're not helping. You know, sometimes it's just it's just best to listen to it. Yeah, yeah, just you know, get on your moon bike and just go for a cruise down the road in one direction. Don't turn, don't deviate because it's going to explode if you touch a blade of grass. So. <laughs> No, Absolutely. Awful. Yeah, rubbish. awful, stupid rubbish, rubbish. game. I don't know why you'd need to be on a bike anyway. Just walk. Yeah, you're <laughs> it's on the not moon. as exciting. You can, do just massive, walk. you can do massive jumps. Yeah, you can. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you don't need the nonsense of a moon bike. Stupid. Moon bike. Anyway, that's uh, Mad, and if, what, and Mad, and Mad if, Max. No, it it's Red Max. And if it's just as a, a final little hurrah, if you are, if there is a chance that the Earth is, is going to this devastating situation and the moon is your option, don't put electric fences all over the moon. Just leave it as an open surface for you to roam. <laughs> yeah. so don't, don't Who make Who are you trying killer. to keep out? Yeah, well, why, did the, why, just, why electric fences? Why fences at all? Why did they just fence the moon? The first object <laughs> when you're surviving a global catastrophe like that isn't just construct fences and create fence panels and start segregating yourself from your neighbours. You know what? You might want to think about community. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a really good point. Um, especially fences that will, you know, you can turn off quite easily, but only by riding a moan bike. Well, over it just them. worries me that the first priority wasn't getting the saving the human race. It was what we're going to do with these fence panels. It's like, well, you know what? 
which means they must have saved them. So they saved the moon bikes and the fence panels. Anyway, I'm thinking probably, and maybe I'm maybe I'm overthinking it. Well, they didn't just they're not they're laser fences. Is that this what I mean? So you, why? So, yeah, why those things? Food. Save the food. Don't worry so much about fence construction in a post-apocalyptic world. Yeah, and I imagine as well, you probably need the generators for light. Because you're on the dark side of the moon, yeah. not powering and laser heat, fences. Yeah. It's pretty cold on that side, so I'm led to believe. Yeah, really yeah. chilly. You know, yeah. don't get much more above like you know. You know, you're gonna need socks on. And they missed an opportunity to get Pink Floyd to do the soundtrack for the game. Surely, <laughs> come on. An entire game set on the dark side of the moon. Pink Floyd was like waiting for the phone to ring, just looking at it, going, "Any day now, lads, they're gonna ring. They're gonna want our gonna music ring. for that we game." We can do the soundtrack to Red Max. <laughs> Here I am on the dark side of the moon on my boom bike. Welcome to the moon bike. Red Max. I wanted that vocal sample to be in there. Do you know, I might even make that, what you just did, into a little song. We'll see. We'll see about that anyway for that oh dear red max <sighs> dead max yes red cacks red cacks whatever massively massive red cacks red red redding of the cacks <laughs> ew ew no. <laughs> anyway move on let's whip through these last few because yeah. what we got next uh, what we got next Graham, time to uh, time to combat up oh. and join Strike Force Cobra. It sounds sa- exciting. It sounds exciting. It ain't though. It's the Spectrum version, isometric Spectrum conversion. I put the uh, I put the screenshot, the front screen back at the top. Did you like? Did you laugh at the front <laughs> yes, screen? Because I, I laughed for I laughed quite at, a while. I, I laughed at the whole thing. Laughed and, and also felt the pain. So logic of the game. So let's just quickly. Your evil enemies kidnap the world's top scientists and they're intent on cracking into your computers. You must assemble a strike force, strike force Cobra, but break into the um, the enemy hideout, break the codes, rescue the scientists and get out, you know, get away before anything, you know, get away before any of the, the stuff is done. So you've got to crack codes using your digital lock breaker. And the more numbers you find, you go around looking for different numbers and the more numbers you find and the scientists give you these when they get rescued, then you can sort of crack the codes better. So you you choose your team at the beginning from an elite team. So your options are Mad Joe Kowalski, US Green Beret, Esther Stern, Israeli para and intelligence service, Julio Fernandez from the Spanish police force, Irina Viskova from the Russian Spetsnaz, Ian Dawson, good old Ian Dawson from Leeds in the UK, <laughs> served with two para in the Falklands, Ross Crusher McWatt from Glasgow, Scotland, Scotsguard and from the SAS, Gerard Dupont from the French police and Jan van Heusen from the Dutch Marines. So you pick out of them and when you do that, you're into the game. The game is an isometric mono yellow color. I don't know what you call bicolor spectrum looking slugathon. And by slugathon, I mean you move around at the pace of a slug. The more objects are on the screen, slower it goes, treacle speed. There's little touchy animations on the main sprites, which are kind of, they look they look apart, but they're kind of one color sprites. It looks like a spectrum game, plays like a spectrum game. Is the speed of a treacle speed game which means for me, I'm tuning out. The rest is cacola. So, no, <laughs> not for me, this one at all. I imagine that there might be a really great game to get into in all of its isometric glory, but I hate these kind of games. I hate these kind of sort of search and find games with these military teams where you can choose between the ones. I, I actually wandered down a corridor, flick screens, horrible graphic style, looked through uh-huh. the window of something, and that was enough for me. So, did you get more out of it than that? No, I, I noticed that you know, for a game that moves at treacle speed, calling it Strike Force Cobra is a is a misnomer of huge proportions because oh, this is like Strike Force Worm. Yeah, terrible. So, yeah, so it's a it's a multi character strategy game. Yeah. 
I mean, you can to cut it to cut it a little bit of slack. This would evolve down the line into real time strategy games, like things like Commando. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, then, yeah. I mean, even things like you can see like down the line, Rainbow Six, Ghost Recon. Yeah, yeah. Not saying it's not without its lineage later, but but it, but the problem is this is let down by confusing controls and drab visuals and poor sound. Yeah, I didn't know how to control it. I, I, at one point, I walked behind a door and came out crouching. Yeah, and I didn't know what I'd done. <laughs> I was like, what have I done? Why am I crouching? And why am I crouching? The, and, and like, I came back, I wasn't just crouching. I was kind of walking like I was doing a Russian dance. Yeah, Cossack dance. Yeah. And yeah, it was weird. I was like, what, what's going on? It was like, you know, Russian dancing men, that, uh, that game by Weeble. Did you choose the Arena Viskova by any chance? Because she does do that. Yeah, I did. I did. Um, I chose her. I chose the, uh, the the guy in the beret, the other woman, and well, I think the, French the guy. Scots guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the French guy who looked, who looked oh so French. Oh yeah, well they, they are <laughs> so, all yeah. very much, you know. Yeah, so I can't remember, but yeah, and and I also thought I had a confusing style because I was flicking between them, and then in one of the rooms next to me there was what looked like a Dalek moving yeah. around. So I say it was weird. So I was like, why is there a Dalek moving around? Which kind of undermines the military aspect of this. It's like, yeah. is this supposed to be real? What is this? And how slow did you um, go so- when that appeared on the screen? Oh, very slow. Very, very slow. Yeah. Um, it needed to stay thematically consistent, and, yeah. and I just didn't understand what I was supposed to be doing. So it's, it's, I give it some due. It's ambitious, mm. but it's failed in that ambition quite yeah. quite heavily. I suspect it, it may have played well on the Spectrum because it would have played to the Spectrum's graphical advantage yes, in, this, in these matters. I think, so. I think you're right. It just, just doesn't work. Isometric, slow, single-color games on the C64. It's just, no. you know, we've Recipe said this before. I mean, Fairlight, Nightshade... There's just too many of them, and yeah. they're all crap. Yeah, and this and they, is and they're all you know, better on the spectrum. Is, yeah, and this is multi-character crap. Yeah. yeah. Um. So you know, it's a big strike force nobra from me. <laughs> yeah. Same for me. These all these games fall into the same trap on the Commodore 64. We're going to find it as we get through. We're going to come across the Great Escape at some point, which was actually pretty good on the spectrum. Yeah, I know. We're going to cause ruffles when we get to Head Over Heels. And Head Over Heels, yeah, another one. Which, but it just you know, they just suffer from. They're all. Whether Batman was any good. Well, they're good games. Just the versions on the Commodore 64 just suffer from that treacle speed and that and I found that frustrating to play I don't like playing games like that I just don't no. so no. sorry no so unlike that game let's move swiftly on <laughs> um, to our next one and don't Cossack dance <laughs> past the yeah just walk past the door normally and come out Cossack dancing I do that quite regularly at home I know you do I know it's, it's quite off put it's you quite off put cups of tea booted out of people's hands <laughs> My terrible. partner just can't. She's terrified every time I walk past the door. If she, if she suddenly hears, Hi-ya, well, that's why she, she carries tea now in her backpack. She just makes it. I've got full on Cossack mode. Yeah, just straps it on her yeah, back st- and pulls it out the back. I stick on the mustache and everything. Get the big hat. <laughs> we are Russian dancing men. <laughs> it's Cossack time. It's Cossack time now. <laughs> My favorite pepper is cayenne. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Right. Let's. Yes. Like I said. Moving on. Swiftly on. To our next one. Oh, God. This was a budget title, one ninety nine, and this is Mad Nurse. What do, what do you say about this? What do you say about Mad Nurse? The closest I can come to describing Mad Nurse is it's it's kind of a bit like Tapper. Yeah, I said that. I, exactly the same. It's, it's uh, so this is a Tapper-like nurse game where you have to pick up crawling babies across three levels of a single-screen hospital and dump them into a nearby cot. You have to do this in order to stop them drinking bleach, sticking their fingers in plug sockets and so on. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So what could have been a darkly humorous game instead becomes deeply monotonous and, and the crap mm. music is just the awful icing on a dead baby cake. Yeah. 
Yeah. Is what I put here. Now, the interesting thing around this, because the game's crap, so it's a, basically you see from side on, there's three layers to it. There's babies crawl on from the left. There's cots randomly across each level. You've got go up a lift, which is on the right, and just go along, pick them up, and dump them in a cot. Job yeah. done. That's just, it. That's it's this just, game. It's, it's crap. It's baby tapper. Yeah. Interestingly, the interesting thing about this is who it was made by. So this is made by Simon Pick. Mm -hmm. Simon Pick, there was another title in this episode of Zap, which we didn't cover because it's not a game, which was Micro Rhythm. Oh, which I was remember the drum, Micro Rhythm. Remember the drum thingy? Yeah, I remember yeah, he did that. He did that. Oh, interesting. The same guy who made this made, made Micro Rhythm. But also, he would go on, he's going to go on to do the ports of Nemesis, Gradius. Interesting. And, and Shinobi. Okay. Weird. It's quite, actually, you know, the only interesting thing to come out of this is the guy who made it is going to go on to more interesting stuff. Not this, though. This is a bad start. This is, I put, this is baby dog egg. Yeah, it is. I, I really didn't, I really didn't like this. I thought it was just dull, boring, monotonous, and crap. That's just me. I just thought it was ancient arcade logic. In actuality, the context, the programming of the game is just, it's, you know, it's, that's all, it works fine. It works, no, but, but it's not would, enjoyable. No, it's not enjoyable. It's, I put it thematically challenging of it, and it's very of its time. You wouldn't get away with making a game where you have to save babies from certain death nowadays, I don't think. It lacks the humour. I, I think it is an arcade game or based on something around one, I think. It could be. Anyway, like you say, competently programmed, but still dull and a disturbing central premise, really, in some ways, you know. You know, especially in recent, especially in light of recent headlines, um, you know, nurses, yeah. nurses, at least she's saving babies, this one. So, but I'm not a, um, I'm not a fan of these kind of games. I, I, and I don't think I've even liked it in an arcade. So it just exists. It exists in that spot for me. And if I want to play something like this, I'll just play Tapper. Yeah. This, Tapper's which is more, a more enjoyable. Yeah. It's way more fun. Even yeah. if it is a game about alcoholism. Well, it's less threateningly. At least, you know, you're not because babies do die in this game if you're not careful yes and that is a bit unpleasant it's an unpleasant thing so no 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 yeah no and, th and i didn't understand the title because mad nurse but you're not are you you're a you're a good nurse well i because if the nurse was throwing babies off out the windows and i thought for a for a minute it was that game where you there was that game where you had the to bounce babies ba i thought for a while in my head it was that so which i thought because it's a mad nurse maybe that's but it's not it's just she's mad because she's cross because the babies keep getting out there uh, and getting out and yeah. escaping oh so it's stuff. mad as in angry not mad as in crazy Insane. yeah all, yeah. Right. all right well yeah i didn't like this no no not for me Let's move on quickly um, because we've got uh, big stompy footprints coming up. We do. Because Graham, tell us all about Movie Monster. The Movie Monsters, interesting this, really interesting, not one to come across either. So this is a, potentially a technical, epics technical redo of a 1983 game that they did in basic called Crush, Crumble and Chomp was the original game. Oh, is it? Yeah, you can, you, you can YouTube that. Um, and you'll notice it's very similar to this in some ways. Um, so the premise of this game is you've got to complete missions. And the missions are basically to destroy cities, either London, Paris, New York, Moscow, or San Francisco. And you can choose one of six monsters. So you've got Godzilla, a licensed Godzilla, by the way. Ooh. So Godzilla, which is obviously Godzilla, and they secure the license for that. Tarantus, which is a giant tarantula spider. From these, Some of these are from movies as well, or variants of movies. So there's... Some of them are lookalikes, for want of a better description. Tarantus is the tarantula. You've got the Glog, which is a version of the Blob, which is a kind of big blob of slime. Spectra, be careful how you say that one, which is kind of a Mothra, kind of a giant moth. <laughs> Mr. Yeah. Meringue, or what is the Marshmallow Man from Ghostbusters, essentially. Yeah. And Mechatron, uh -huh. which is a transforming robot from the Gundam type series, apparently, according to the web anyway. That's what Megatron is. So okay. you start the game by, it's outside a cinema and you can sort of choose the arrangement of your game. So you kind of choose the monster, choose the location and choose the action plot of this film that's going to play out in the cinema. So 
that's the kind of the way it works. It's quite a clever little way of constructing it, actually. Because once you've chosen uh-huh. that, so you can choose from escape missions where you've got to get out the level as quick as possible, lunch, where you've got to eat everything that you can, destroy landmarks. So obviously you've got to destroy the landmark. And then there's a search one where you've got to find your hidden offspring in the city. And then Berserk, which is where you can just go and just smash everything to pieces. So you can choose the monster, the location, and the way you're going to do those things. And then once you do that, you go in the cinema, it sort of starts the film. So you get this like little start sequence. It's quite cool. I quite like that. And then the game starts. Then you control said monster and you go around smashing stuff up in the city while the wild people and tanks and jets and things are trying to stop you. So it's essentially monsters versus the stuff. Some of them have special abilities, so Godzilla can do his sort of cry, spiders can shoot webs. You get the kind of idea. And you complete the mission when you complete your mission. So at the end of that, you can choose if you want to to cause more destruction, so just carry on smashing. Or you can finish and end the movie and then you sort of get a a sort of a score-based, a score-ish kind of concept at the end. So it's plod around. Some of it's a bit, it's a bit simple, but plod around, smash stuff up, and the graphics quite nice on it actually. The city's a bit plain, a bit low, but you are a giant Godzilla or a creature, and you do wander around and do that kind of stuff, and it's quite nice. You just sort of lean on buildings to smash them up and do that kind of thing, and obviously you, you, you sort of take your time to do that. It's kind of slow, but kind of and ploddy, but it's kind of fun. It gets a bit tiresome quite quickly though, because it's not. It is a very samey game. So once you've kind of got into over the beginning, it so it's all it's a lot of presentation, and when you get to the game, it's sort of it's not as good as the presentation really graphics quite nice sound is quite good generally okay animation and it's okay fun while it lasts but it gets boring quite quickly and very samey so once you smash one city up kind of all look the same i'd never heard of it really prior to this um, at all I, and i don't remember even seeing it in zap at the time i don't know quite how it's i've missed it so my take on my final take on it was i like the presentation style i like the, the way they did things in the game unfortunately when you get to the actual gameplay it's nowhere near as good as everything else so there you go. That was my uh, feelings about it. What about you? Uh, pretty much bang on. I think I'm <laughs> stomp. I put stomp smash and generally bludgeon your way through various cities around the world with various tasks to do with various famous movie monsters or movie monster variant. Essentially, that yeah, what you yeah. said. Uh, no point in repeating what you said. Very nice presentation, setting the whole thing in a cinema, and I really like the use of you know use of in-game marketing like Summer Games two, yeah, one yeah, and two yeah. popping up, World Games, and all yeah. these kind of stuff now playing. So that was really nice. But then you got to the actual game and it's just all a bit lackluster yeah. after all that. And you said it's kind of an isometric as well, which, you know, it's about an isometric wander about with little, I put a little bang, little, there's not a little, not much bang for your book. The, the city's too open. I wanted it to be a bit more crowded. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. It's an interesting idea. And I think the problem is at this point is that it, it's too early. There's just not enough power and grunt to really do it justice. And it just becomes quite tiresome quite quickly. Yeah. If I wanted to play something where I was a monster smashing stuff up, I'd go play Rampage. Yeah, yeah, I would. If I was going to do that. You know, that, yeah. I think Rampage, Ramp- if I want that kind of visceral thrill of smashing up cities and eating yeah. people and pulling them out of stuff and on a you know crazy sort of side, I'd just play Rampage. And Rampage yeah. does it better by doing single screen, yeah. nicer yes, visuals, that kind of stuff. So yeah. whilst this is an interesting variant on that and, and a bit more, you know, free form and allowing you to do stuff. And I like the, the different monsters are quite interesting and they're quite fun. They just, just resort to, you have the, the different attacks kind of do similar sort of effects. Yeah, and do. There's, no, there's not really much payoff to it. No, that, is, it, that is its problem, isn't it? It's just yeah. so yeah. It's, I think it just uh, I needed it to be a bit more crazy enough. Things on fire, 
buildings just disappear. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's like getting a really. You go to the cake shop and you buy a really beautiful looking cake, and you think this is going to be delicious, and it's really boring. You know, it doesn't taste of anything. Yeah, no. absolutely. Yeah, you, you bite into it, and it's made of uh, bland. Yeah, it's just it's just you, you know, know it's just what boring. flavor is this? Yeah. yeah, it's not even vanilla. Lovely icing around the thing. What's in the middle? Bland. Yeah, it's, it's just taste of? It, it tastes pure, of flour. Pure, pure brown. <laughs> yeah. you don't put any brown, any cocoa powder. It's just flour and water. So it's just a glue cake. <laughs> A glake. I know Paul Hollywood. Paul Hollywood would be looking at you with steely eyes. He would, yes, steely blue <laughs> man If you, if you, made, blue it, man if you eyes. made him eat this, if you made Paul Hollywood eat this, and even Prue would look at you with going, Ugh, she'd look at you and shake doing? her head and go, "This is tasteless crap," and he'd just go, "Underbaked, underbaked, <laughs> underbaked, <laughs> underbaked." Is his, you know, that's his catchphrase. And uh... well, he, he wears bread, bread underpants. <laughs> <laughs> And they're there always is. underbaked. <laughs> yeah, there, there is underbaked. He, he puts them in his pants to prove it, to prove them. Because <laughs> it's so warm. So warm there. and moist down there. Their, their <laughs> pants are twice the size in an hour. Absolutely. <laughs> By the end of the day, that that bread is so proved, Petrocelli couldn't even get them off. <laughs> even Quincy couldn't find him innocent. <laughs> yeah, never, never ask Paul Hollywood to prove anything. Say, don't Absolutely, prove it then, yeah, Paul. It, prove it because he will. And he'll put it in his pants. Because he'll take it off you. He'll take it off you and slowly slide it down the back of his pants while staring at you with his steely gaze. And he <laughs> yeah. won't break his eyes and he won't blink. He won't. It, it's a horrifying thing to see. And I've, he's done it to me, and I yes. didn't like it. No. And then he'll go to shake your hand. Don't do that. He's trying to. <laughs> he's trying to stink palm you. Absolutely. He's trying to. He's trying to prove harm you. Prove <laughs> exactly. Arm. Prove exactly. shake. No one wants his proof shake. And he won't let go of your hand either, and he'll prove your hand with his warm hands, and suddenly your hand will start expanding. You just end up with a massive and hand. if you roll back the sleeves on his shirt, you'll notice his wrists are like um, <laughs> baguettes, the strong bread. He's, he's totally made of bread, Paul Hollywood. He's complete bread man. <laughs> Absolutely. He's, yeah, his forearms are 12-inch 12, 12 hoagies. Yeah, don't mess with, don't, do not mess with him. That guy is a, it's like stale bread. His legs are strong, but, you know, don't do it. Don't do it. Okay, he's got he's got cobs for elbows. You don't want to know how he procreates. It just you know is a it's a, a, a spongy spurting sound and there's yeast everywhere. <laughs> it's the opposite to uh, Roger Moore. You stretch your glutes, good and proper. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. God oh. sakes, that's a dark turn, and never want to go down again. <laughs> Paul Hollywood, bread creation. <laughs> It's his new cookbook. God's sake. <laughs> it's Christmas as well. That's bound to be coming out. Yeah, it will be. It'll be, on, it'll be all good coffee tables. Well, spread. Spread <laughs> Absolutely. thick. Yeah. And he, he don't, don't, that's what he does with his butter. <laughs> <sighs> but that's Movie Monster. Okay. <laughs> I'm kidding, it is. Yeah. Next. <laughs> let's, uh, let, let's, get, let's go to the next one, shall we? Yeah, I think we should. Right. What is the next? Well, it's um, I was in a I was in a play of this. You were. I was. I was Mercury. You did. Um, I, I sang some songs in this. So this is Orpheus in the Underworld. It is. And this should just be called Awful in the Underworld, shouldn't it? Just because this is an awful pitfall knockoff. Oh, bad. And and I mean, we're in 1986, and we've got a bad pitfall knockoff. <laughs> but it's a two-year-old game. It is. It's a two-year-old game. So in this pitfall, awful pitfall knockoff, we see Orpheus trying to escape the underworld. Except it's Pitfall, released two years ago and now at budget price. But it's Pitfall, and not a very good one. The visuals are rubbish, the music is terrible, and it's a shit version of Pitfall. Yeah. If I want, I'll just go and play Pitfall. 
Yeah. Not this knockoff. No. I wish I had turned around whilst, whilst uh, this was playing and been turned into a pillar of salt. Yes. What I've written. Stupid game. I hated it. <laughs> just a rubbish version of Pitfall. Yes, it was. You know, I'm not going to say anything more about it because it's just a terrible, terrible rubbish version of Pitfall. 21% at two quid. Yeah. You know, again, just slightly over 10, you know, 1% for every 10, for every 10p. Yeah. They're getting bang on here. Did you like it? No, a couple of things to note about it. No, a couple of things to note about it. I hated the way it kept starting me on the right-hand side of the screen, even if I died. But it was a good way of being able to get to the right. If you died on the left, you just started at the right anyway, which is weird. It's just nasty graphics, nasty everything. Made by Steve Back. Who's he? The guy that made Hercules. There you go. Oh, is it? Yeah. Uh, that explains a lot. He actually made loads of really cool games later down the line, Steve Back. He, di- he sadly died in 2020, but he made loads of really cool games um, later. For example, one of them being Gold Runner on the Atari ST. A game which features a Rob Hubbard soundtrack, a redo of his music from Human Race, but a oh. Atari ST version. So that's just that was an interesting little sideline loop. But yeah, it was the guy that made Hercules made this. And if you think about it, I can see Hercules in this now you mentioned it. Uh, No, I don't think it was. It's actually in the games that weren't. It's worth looking at this little section on the games that weren't website about this. There's not much there, but I don't think it was ever really meant to be released, I think is the consensus, or it certainly wasn't in the... And I think it was released in 1984 at full price, and then it got re-released again here, but they hadn't done anything. I think so. I think it was literally a... It's just uh, this guy's got a game out, release it. So I suspect it's because it's made by Hercules guy, maybe it got released and it shouldn't have. I don't know. It'd be, it would have been great to be able to ask Steve back, but sadly, he's, say he's no longer with us. But he did leave a legacy of some really great games later down the line on all sorts of different formats. So Yeah, well, I had a lot of time for Hercules. I, yeah. thought, uh, Her- you know, I quite quite liked Hercules because for, for, it was single-minded, and what it did, this was just single-mindedly bad. It's, it's uh, worth looking, if you get the time, go and have a look at the games of Steve back. And just remember that this isn't his greatest game, but there's loads of other games that are really good. So go and check them out. Okay, we'll do. That's our Orpheus in the Underworld. So let's move on. Let's get out of the Underworld and go to our last game of the year. Is it a good one? Is it a bad one? Only time will tell. So uh, let's go to that. Graham, Trailblazer. Final game um, of the year. Absolutely. Who knew they made um, a sort of snake game in 1994? Yes, that was the uh, the one that we put in there by accident, wasn't it? The wrong one. The yeah. Roster, that was the wrong Trailblazer. Interesting thing anyway. So this is Trailblazer, the right Trailblazer. Sean Southern game, Gremlin released. Mm-hmm. It's an arcade racer where you've got to guide a, a ball along a sort of a 3D course and by 3D it's sort of coming towards you. I don't know what you call that really, but... a Space, ha- space Harrier style. Well, yeah, Space Harrier. I suppose that the best thing I could think of that would immediately make you think of it is those uh, music games like the Guitar Hero, that, the way the Guitar yeah, Hero comes yeah, towards yeah. you. So like that. So that's the view. You've got a ball and you've got to bounce. Uh, you control it with the joystick. You push the joystick forward for speed up, backwards for slow down. Fire button can jump. You don't have an infinite number of jumps. You've only got so many per course. So you've got to think carefully because there are different types of squares that get zoomed towards you and some of them have different powers so brown and orange squares are normal black is a hole obviously red squares will slow you down green ones will speed you up blue ones will make you jump without the fire button so you don't lose one of your jumps purple is just a block an outright block it stops you in your tracks and the cyan ones mean that um they're right left sort of uh, swapped so it swaps your left right round then you've got a warp one which is white um which I think is only in a certain mode so as these things come towards you the idea of the game is you've got to get to the end in a certain amount of time and there's different variations of the game. So you've got one player arcade where you're limited to seven jumps per course and then you have a time limit and the remaining time at the end when you finish is carried over to the next one. Two player arcade, which is really nice. So it splits into two screens, doesn't lose any speed at this point either, I have to say. So it's the same as the one player, but obviously 
two-player game as a variation. You've got a one-player trial where you can practice any course because there's different courses, obviously, for 99 seconds. You've got a two-player match where you can pick three courses and then have a bit of a race against each other with a 19-second timer. And then the final slot option is player versus robot, which is essentially the one-player trial and two-player match, but obviously you're playing against a robot version, an AI, if you like. So it's an arcade-inspired type game. You're instantly straight into this game. It's dead easy to get into and control. The graphics, it's, it's sort of, it's one of those games when it starts, you kind of instantly get it, instantly get what you've got to do. It doesn't, there's no learning curve to this. It's obvious what you've got to do. It's, mm-hmm. and, and then adding things like having the limited number of jumps and stuff is actually quite a nice touch. So it isn't just, it actually is a bit more tactical. It's hard because it runs at a real, real pace. It's fast as hell. So when you're flying along, you don't tend to think too much about jumping and, it's, and it can get a bit overwhelming. And obviously now my hand-eye coordination being that of an older person, I'm not sure I'm, <laughs> I'm prepared for the, you know, the brain-boggling speed of this game because it is really fast. So I quite liked it. The sound effects, by the way, sounded like Paradroid, almost identical to Paradroid in a weird way. So I think I'm not sure if that was a little nod or whatever, but it's a lightning fast game. Graphics are really nice. The style of the game is swift. It moves at a pace. There's a good two player option. It is what it is. It's, I think, would you keep going back to this game? I don't know if you would. I think you'd go back to it for a while. I don't know that it's Without some of the component parts of that would make it more like proper high scores and tables and leagues. I don't know, maybe there's some aspect to it that's not quite there for me to keep coming back and coming back and coming back. But I remember playing a bit of it when it came out. I went back to this and I was straight into it and quite enjoyed it. I was quite impressed by its technical chops, I have to say. It is a very, very slick, well-programmed game. And it does exactly what it sets out to do and no more, no less. So I thought it deserved some, you know, some applaud for that. And I liked it, and I still do. I think it's what it's a good game to end on for 1986 because it's a it's just big, it's that cusp of the programmers of the machine are getting technically very capable now, and in the hands of the right people, even simple ideas are starting to really look the part. And Sean Southern is a really clever programmer, so this is a you know you're starting to see it. And as 1987 rolls in, we're going to see a lot more technical chops. Games are going to start to get really clever, and I think this is a nice tipping point to say you know goodbye 1986. Hello, 1987. This is a good thing to end on. And I I thought it was really quite good. What about you? Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is a very good game. This This is another very smart split-screen racing game from Sean Southern, going back to what he does best after that Hero of the Golden Talisman thing. So I put your racer ball down a Space Harrier style. I I quite actually, yeah, uh, the Guitar Hero track is probably a better analogy. Style 3D track, avoiding gaps, hitting speed-ups, avoiding slowdowns and the like, because they're all represented by different colours on the sort of, the grid sort of thing that you're racing them down it's fast it's addictive and and, and, and to some extent this is he's basically done he's done kickstart in 3d you yeah. know he's, he's got he's done kickstart so he's got the split screen of kickstart put it in 3d and simplified it. it's purer and it's faster because you couldn't probably do kickstart at this stage obviously because that 3d would require a lot so he's done he's simplified it to a flat course but introduced height through the jumps and having to jump mm. and the, 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 the actual pitfalls and perils being different colored squares on the track itself it's hard as you've noticed because it's so fast and and you know a lot of the time it is comes down to a bit of a memory test you kind of just right it's this 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 left right right jump right jump and this going because you can control the pace but you want to be going as fast as you can because you need as much time as you can and especially in two player and it is in that two player area where this has its longevity Mm. I think you get two players, two people back in the day, two friends would be playing this quite a lot, I think, because there's quite a lot of mileage in this. Yeah. Because there's so much fine margins for error 
and knocking each other. I don't know if you can knock each other about and stuff like that, but you're trying to go faster and, and everything like that. So it's it's really good. Uh, there's not a lot to sort of to say more about it because it's simple. And I think you, you, you're spot on with the analysis of putting this here at the end of 1986 is a, is a good... I, I put it here thinking that, you know, this would be quite a nice technical... Mm tour de force of what the machine can do in the right hands and the 3d effect is really good it's clear that i think mr southern has probably looked at ball blazer yes um because ball yes. blazer was another point of reference i thought for this and he's done you know yes. that's that's i can i'll have a bit of that but let's now let's cross ball blazer with kickstart what would that look yeah. like well it looks like tra trailblazer yeah you know it's even got blazer in the name yeah yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I'd, I'd highly recommend this still. This is still a good, fun game. In single player, I'm not sure the longevity because it is so fast. But I think if you start to, if it starts to twig, you know, starts to twig with you and you find yourself getting into it, there's, you know, like any kind of time trial style racing game like Hang On or any of those kind of 3D racing games where it's all against, you know, Sega Rally, any of those. It's that, it's that sort of thing. It's the 3D racing game yeah. with, with, but with obstacles to jump around and thing. And like you said, the, the addition of, uh, just seven jumps or whatever it is to that you know that you're only allowed is a good addition it adds a bit of strategy this is really good was back then is still now would mm. recommend go play it good yeah no i agree and and i think what's i think if actually i, I had a thought that if if this if the track moved like a, a game like pit stop two and if the track moved like a racing game like a car racing game some of the ones we've seen um, yeah, you yeah. wouldn't be you wouldn't be far off Rainbow Road for the Mario Kart games, would you? Really? Not um, really, no. You know, you're not far off that in that speed, the speed of it, and the, and the way it goes, and the speed ups on the ground and things. You, you know, you stick a cart in there instead of a ball, and you you're not far off Mario Kart in the early eight bit versions, especially. So yeah, so I think yeah, were, absolutely. That's a, yeah, and a Mario Kart was on the SNES, wasn't it? So we didn't yeah. get that for that was a sixteen bit game. Oh, six sorry, sixteen bit game. Yeah, so uh, so that's yeah. what I mean. So I think there's probably maybe reasons why that they didn't do that. I don't know, but I think you're actually like you say. This is a technical taste of things to come. Yeah, it's just a really, and it's just a good, fun game. It's nice and simple. Yeah, yeah the sound effects do really sound like Paradroid, don't they? Yeah, totally same. But, okay. <laughs> but hey ho, let's not going to hold that against it. But the rest of the game is is so good, much fun to play. And on that note, that is it for the games for 1986. It wow, is. we've played so bloody many. We have. <sighs> and then we're all done and we're going to have some stuff. But before we do that, we've got some crapverts. So if you'd like to go down to our first crapvert for this week, which is the one after uh, last week's Yee Kung Fu 2. Oh, God. Is that <laughs> America's Cup Challenge? Why is that so challenge America's done that way? Well, this is America's Cup Challenge, but the reason I've put this sort of thing is it's never uh, never put someone in front of a photo, that obviously, at the bottom. Oh, good Lord, that is properly... When you, it was weird you were talking about compositing earlier on. Yeah, that's bad <laughs> compositing. And you know what? They're aiming towards another vessel. That's gonna That's a crash. What you're witnessing, I know. Is, that's the last selfie before there was a horrific sea incident at sea. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is dreadful. So this is America's Cup Challenge, but it says the chance of a lifetime to skip of the world's greatest, greatest racing yacht. Yeah. So, But you're just racing at a yacht. In the, is there a particular yacht you're in? I don't know. <laughs> Something America's Cup Conqueror. Look at those graphics. And what's that, that yellow representation of the cup on the left oh. is not something that I would be wanting to win. Why is that even there? I mean, I like on the that fact triple, that it says... On that triple blue background. On the triple blue... And at the top it says... Uh, why is that even triple blue like that? Why don't they just carry the background <laughs> over from the, from the sky? And then it says, um, sailing enthusiast and computer addict alike. Those people are never alike. 
<laughs> that's the Venn diagram that doesn't match. That doesn't <laughs> yeah, meet. This never going to happen. Two circles. <laughs> two circles on a page. Do these? Is there a middle point of this? No, there's never been a case of a mixture between a sailing enthusiast and a computer addict. And an addict's a bit of a harsh tonality to use for somebody that likes computer games. No, you, if you're addicted to something, you know, you wouldn't put substitute the word computer for heroin. Sailing yeah. enthusiast, heroin addict. You're going to love this game. It's no, it's just weird. And looking at them screens, it's, I don't think, going to be that interesting. <laughs> no. The wind's I got up. Oh, it... the wind's gone down. Windy? Not windy. That's really all that game's <laughs> going to be, isn't it? Well, it doesn't... I can't actually, reading through it, I cannot see it actually mentions any particular yacht. No, it won't. And you know what, also, as well it as... It says not... at the bottom, Skipper the World's Greatest Racing Yacht. Yeah, uh, they don't mention that because they probably don't know what it's called. And I suspect this is one of those... They were on a global hunt for licenses, and this one, they were like, oh, nobody's got the America's Cup. Great, grab it, because it's yeah. US gold in it. And the chance yep. of a lifetime to skip of the world's greatest racing yacht, yeah, it's not, is it? It's the chance of a lifetime to crash into one and cause a, an oceanic incident while you jauntily, with your 12-year-old <laughs> co-pilot, by the look of it, and, and it looks like they're in a really. See. What are they on as well? Because it looks a bit inflatable. That well, thing they're on. I was going to say it's going to get. It's going to get destroyed by that yacht. Well, not only that, but his rope is going off to some wild place. You know, what's he holding onto? Is he just going to swing off? It's like <laughs> it's like a pirate. It's going to swing onto the deck of another ship, and you know, it just looks like he's he's not hanging about, is he? He's, that, that's the boat he's on. He's about to crash, and he's going to jump off there quick. He's uh, not. No, terrible. It's a terrible. It's a it's a bad advert. It's a bad advert. I'm not sure if it's <laughs> the next one. <laughs> cosmic <laughs> shock absorber oh Lord. this is just uh, this is madness <laughs> i don't even know what to make of this <laughs> <laughs> there is so much going on on that screen between the weird vampire bat thing the armed carrots and yep, the, the giant and the crab. green crab attacking <laughs> a guy it's why is his gun going off in his hand? Why is he shooting at the ground? <laughs> what is going on? What does it mean? That is wow. So Why it's, is it called it's cartoon style, shock, it? shock absorber. I don't get it. It's, it's cartoon style. And so you've got a guy whose just guns are just going off all over the shop. He's shooting at the ground. He's shooting in the air. He looks confused. He's dressed like a... I don't even know what you call that. Has he got... He looks like he's got um, Crocs on or some kind of sandals with his socks in space being attacked by a green giant crab. A winged back creature that looks like the one from Ghosts and Goblins. And then... And heavily armed carrots creep coming up out the ground looking very angry about something. And then surrounded by bouncing geometric shapes. Yeah, all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Raining them, in fact. But what kind of game is it? Well, you won't have seen the film. There is no book. Now find out why. It's 3D blasting fun. Yeah, it's a Martech game, which tells me that it's probably none of those things. They don't have a great <laughs> track record, do they, really? Here, they're a bit no. hit and miss. Yeah, and Weird. I, I don't understand. I don't like the different sizes on Cosmic Shock Absorber. No, I don't no. like the fact that Cosmic and Absorber are pink, lowercase with drop shadow. No. Shock is all yellow in no. capitals in a no. different font. No. The, the fact they're in an octagon. Yeah, precariously placed octagon that's vibrating by the look of it for some reason that's not explained <sighs> i don't it's, it's there must be some kind of earthquake going on but he looks like someone that's trapped in it i tell you what it reminds me of if you just took that cosmic shock absorber off and put in the name of a like a popular cereal it looks like a side of a cereal box you know it'd be yeah. more like you know cosmic crackers or something or you know cosmic <laughs> cosmo flakes if you took that out that would be it you know, and that's the kind of characterization you get on that on yeah. a cereal shock snap shock yeah, snaps. Yeah. It's, it's this Aldi brand Rice Krispies. That's what that is on the side. <laughs> it's an Aldi brand game. It, it totally is, yeah. So it's probably a game called Cosmic Shocker or Cosmotron. <laughs> and this is their version. <laughs> it's the Nearly brand version, yeah. <laughs> it's bad. 
whatever it, it is. It ain't good. It's, it, uh, it's good to end the year on some good old crap verts because we've got from, from that one, which is thingy, to the next one, which is I don't understand it. Oh, no. Because I don't understand what that picture has to do with the name. No. Oh, no. Nuclear Embargo is the title of the game and an over-stylized logo where they've just interwoven the fonts for no reason whatsoever because I think they've discovered yeah. the uh, join tool. Well, they've joined it. The L and the B are joined, but they've still left the line on the U and the E, which is annoying. Yeah, this has uh, this has the hallmarks of someone that's just got Illustrator for the, and had it a couple of weeks. And then you've got this quite nicely rendered graphic of what looks like someone firing a laser at a planet a la sort of Death star style kind of thing. But in there, there's kind of a... a a robot an egg R2, of some R2 description or an R2-D2 or I don't know what that is. So there's literally nothing about that that makes any sense in, in context of the game. Where's the? Is, what's the nuclear embargo? Where is it? What has that got to do <laughs> with that image? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I mean. I looked at it and I was Weird. like, I was looking at it for a while going, so there's a Death Star firing an R2-D2 in a tractor beam or maybe it's sucking an R2-D2 up in a tractor beam. It could be beaming it up. What yeah. has this got to do with nuclear embargo? Because nuclear embargo, as far as I'm concerned, is like when you get rid of the nuclear weapons. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I can think of is that if you took the nuclear embargo off and put thrust on there, you might get an idea that this is a thrust advert. But Yes, yeah, any kind of anything, yeah. Have we actually played this? We haven't played it, have we? No, this is next month. Oh, right, this is okay. the, this is in the uh, Jan- January 87. <laughs> We've got that to look forward to as well, so. Yeah. Just get a good review. Okay. Micropool made it with the logo of many flags. I'm sure what's Yeah, about, that, but... that also weirded me out as well because I don't know what's going on. Why are yeah. some of the flags really short and some of them no, quite tall? It just doesn't shout nuclear embargo. Even the logo is weird. And the way it's constructed, the way it's positioned and the angle that it's at makes no sense in the context of that image at all. No, so, no, it doesn't. No. But I think I've saved um, one of the best for last. <laughs> Goodness me. Oh, this, this just... This is just a typographic, and everything about this is wrong. <laughs> so this is this some this says two sports for all. It had to come from bloody understand. Anko, didn't it? I knew it was. Of course, as it's soon Anko. As I scrolled down and saw the. So when I saw the sport for writing, and it was in, it was in, in its oval. I was like, okay, there's something going on here. Um, oh dear so, me! So there's this is it. So there's two sports for all, which is the number two sports for number four all across oh the top God. in bubbly writing. Bubbly? Would you call it bubbly? Yes, it's yes. kind of got it's, that. It's, in it looks like those balloons that you inflate to tie knots in. Yes, it does. Yes. In the center, in the background, there's, there's an egg. It's, it's a gradient um, colored it, egg. A gradient egg from blue to yellow. <laughs> <laughs> what? A Greg. <laughs> Greg, a gradient it's egg. Got a Greg. And they've put a beveled, <laughs> embossed surrounding stroke on it. You criminal I don't know what fools. That is. You criminal masterminds. And then, so we've got for the, there's two games here: Sports Four and Sport Four. So it's two lots of Sports Four. One's for the C16 Plus Four, which tie box in European the European Cup. So I don't know what sport that of is. What? Could be any. Could be anything. <laughs> Canoe race and speedboat Grand Prix, which for the, don't exist. For the Commodore 64 128, we've got ice hockey, burning rubber. <laughs> could be anything. Golf, especially if you can combine burning rubber with water sports. <laughs> You've got all kinds of wrong. <laughs> Oh, surely canoe racing and speedboats are water sports. So how is that different from? Well, yeah. So and then, but then we've got the graphical image of these in each of these sort oh, of hex. But then on the on the Greg, we've got a black square or black oblong with a with a further Greg further Greg inside a further gradient egg <laughs> inside them that? with a painted image of the foot of the sports. Oh, and I, and it's just look at that amazing. The- <laughs> <laughs> It's it's what it is. It's it's an image 
from uh, a card your aunt would buy you when you were 12. Yeah, for your and it birthday, had that yeah. For your birthday. It's a birth- It's a series of birthday card images all <laughs> stacked together. Because, you yeah. know, you like sports, don't you? You like sports. So here's a picture. Here's a picture of an ice hockey goalie. Yeah, it's a bit weird, isn't it? I mean, that, the fact that it's got, a, in the first image, you've got a guy getting his face smashed in. It looks like Cliff Richard. <laughs> It's like someone's kicked Cliff Richard in the face. It's like Shaking Stevens has kicked Cliff Richard. <laughs> it does, yeah. It's Shaking Stevens and Cliff Richard having a, having a... And who knew that Shaking Stevens was so ripped? Look at him. Um, and he's got a massive, massive foot. I know it's perspective and all, but this perspective doesn't work in that context. So he's, yeah. he's kicking Cliff Richard in the face. I didn't know Cliff Richard was a boxer. There's a guy that's just canoeing in midair, really. A speedboat that's piloted by nobody by the look of it. And then two footballers who just look lost. They're just lost in there. Like, why are we here? Lost. So I'm guessing the European Cup is football because that. I'm I'm guessing it must be football. Yeah. The other one you've got. So the ice hockey is the ice hockey guy in the middle. Burning rubber must be the the car. The car. Which okay, it's a car. There's a guy swinging a golf ball really wide, swinging his club for a golf ball really widely. (laughs) It's two feet from the the hole <laughs> so i think it's safe to say you've missed mate you know if you've hit the, if you're putting like that you need to rethink your golf short game badly that's his handicap literally you can't hit the ball he has, to, he has to hit it at 250 yards at every opportunity and then water sports is just you know clearly it's canoeing but bad canoeing because he's just hitting the Kayaking. rocks well, he's, he's hitting yeah. rocks so he's going to be out that and smashed to pieces possibly with a broken neck so that's an unfortunate injury really all yeah. with with sporadic and we haven't seen a lot of this till this sporadic lens flare there's lens yeah, flare great, popping up all over look at that lens flare. it's everywhere it's like lens flare at the bottom of the giant egg there's lens flare on the mini eggs on the s of sports yep goodness me this is the they've really gone to classic. town on the effects aren't they they've they've, they've got the effects uh, software and they've turned it onto everything yeah and i am dreading what this game looks like because <laughs> for the, real the thing as well it, oh yeah god no i don't know if we'll ever see it but but they this the it's the size of the text inside the greg yeah. Um, it's really it's tiny. Really small, yeah, and don't shorten cassette to cass. <laughs> don't do that. Nobody calls them casses. You have got any casses? What you mean? What you're talking about? I mean cassettes. You mean tapes? Just put tape. It's four letters. Tape. Like disc is four letters. Disc. You don't need to change, shorten it to cass. It makes no sense. Tape. Oh, maybe Ta- maybe it's mama cass. <laughs> Just seems stupid to do that. Cass. Mama cass is going to sell you this for seven ninety five. Could you imagine a mail order? Could you send me this by tape? Sorry, we don't do them. We've got casses. Loads of casses. <laughs> Um, why would he shorten it to Cass? No one calls them Cass. No one. Nobody in the whole of the creation of recording medium has ever called a cassette a Cass. I mean, even in even in France, they called them K7s, didn't they? So on the cassette sheet, K7. Yeah, because K7 is cassette and 7 is set in French, so cassette. So that's how they okay. did it. You know, quirk, that's quirky. We are tape. The tapes. <laughs> tape. T-A-P. Tape. <laughs> Disc or tape. Tape or disc. Not Cass. You stupid yeah. idiots. And do it bigger. I mean, on the previous one, it says it says cassette. Let's have a look. They do say cassette on most of them, not tape. But if you're only going to use four letters. Yeah, tape. And like, it's not like you've, you know, it's not like you're paying for the letter, paying by the letter. Why not just write cassette? Yeah, well, exactly. Um, and put them side by side. They don't have to stack. Like they've stacked everything on there. Everything's stacked. And why is it all so small, the text? Yeah. And just if you're going to have C6, if you're going to have titles like C16 plus four, Commodore, you know, CBM 64, one to eight, make them bigger. Put them in bold even. <laughs> yeah you don't need to be like that and i hate the way that that two spots fall at the top is it's following the curvature of the egg it's just i really hate that. that reminds me of word art do you know when you get word for windows you get yeah. word art. that's word art right there that is 
<laughs> you should never follow the curvature no, of the egg. and if you just look very carefully, you'll notice that, the, you know, the, the squares that the mini eggs are in, for want of a better description, they're not yeah. straight. They've been they've clearly no. been cut out. They're not digital. Yes. That's somebody has cut those out on a piece of paper and laid them over a giant egg. <laughs> a giant Greg. A giant Greg. They've laid... Because look at that one. It's 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 bent. <laughs> I know. They both are. Maybe they've tried to sort of, you know, sort of show it that the, the egg is bulbous. Bendy egg madness. It's what it is. There you go. <laughs> Two sports for all. <laughs> on that note, let's end 1986, I think. Yes, I think it's time. Yeah, this got the final charts of the year. So this is from Commodore User. So down to number 10 is Ninja. Well, Where is yeah. the Ninja? I can't see him anymore. Because <laughs> he's down to number 10. Uh, up to number 9 is Trivial Pursuit. Up to number 8 is Leaderboard. Up to number 7 is Alley Cat. Up to number 6 is Infiltrator. Up to number 5 is Warhawk. Down to number 4 is Supercycle. Down to number 3 is Going for Gold, which is Hess Games. Up to number 2 is Fist 2, but ruling the roost over Christmas and the New Year in, its, in up to number 1 is Druid. And deservedly so, too. Ah, uh, yeah, probably. Yeah, that lot. What else we got in the top? What else we got? Dan Day in there, Dragon's Lair Sanction. Anyway, yeah. So there we go. That is it. We are done. We are done for 1986. What a year. What a Our year. first full year. It is. Some crazy games in there. Some utter crap. The lowest, I think the lowest score out of all the year is 3%, which we had recently. Three. Yeah, we had a three and a four, didn't we? We had Robobolt and then that Jet Jet Force Gladiator. Yeah, whatever it was called, yeah. <laughs> what it should have been yeah so that's us done for 1986 so we're going to be back over either next week or the next couple of weeks just depends on how long they take us to sort of talk through we've got our 1986 bread bin awards Woo. so we'll be pulling out our awards we will so look out if you're listening to this look out on twitter or facebook or instagram because we'll be asking for your picks for 1986 we will and what you think probably just keep them simple as well so best graphics best music best game Mm-hmm. Um, although you can tell it's your worst game as well if you want but let's keep, let's keep it nice and simple and so we'll look out for those posts so comment and let us know or email us or whatever you know what it is you're going to get the spiel from Graham in a minute over the end credits anyway wow. which will tell you all that but um, so yeah so that's going to be coming up over the next week or two before we launch into the madness that is 1987 yep um, and there are a lot of games coming up because <laughs> we've looked just a few <laughs> and there's a lot <laughs> there's one isn't there one episode with one issue of that with nearly 50 games in it or more it's not fi- i looked it's 41 41 oh is that all okay it's 41 yes in in the first two so the first two issues of uh so in the january and february issues of zap there are a total of 59 games to look at okay <laughs> 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 so uh we're gonna be busy just a bit so uh wish us luck on that but you know we uh play these games so uh you don't have to <laughs> and, and we wish we sometimes didn't have to as well but yes. uh it was it was the pact we made with the devil it was and and that's our that's our penance so there you go that's 1986 done join us next week where we will be talking about our favorites and our worst and laughing at the crap verts and whatever it is whatever else in our breadbin awards uh and then we'll be launched back into 1986 Seven. Wow. Can't believe it. A lot of big games coming up in 1987, but I'm sure we'll talk about that next week. So, as ever, I have been Adrian Mills. I have been Graham Raddings. And you have been listening to Zapped to the Past, and we will see you again next week. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Zapped to the Past podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games, as well as the music, films, and TV from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap 64 magazine published at that time. We will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week. 
Until then, if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of Zap to the Past, and why wouldn't you, they can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com, as well as being available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, pretty much anywhere where we can upload them. By the way, we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners, so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond, you can do so by emailing us at zaptothepast at gmail.com. We're also active on Twitter under at zaptothe, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and most social media platforms. Just search for Zap to the Past and you'll find us. Oh, and if you like the podcast and what we're doing, please do like, share, review, rate us. It really helps. Something, apparently. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Ruddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe, see you next time, and remember... We play these games so you don't have to.